Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. Hey, uh, this is a fun episode. I'm very excited to have our guest here because uh, the idea of this uh, podcast is to have conversations with people who are somehow connected to my life. Now, sometimes it will be people that are very directly connected to my life, uh, very close friends of mine. Um, Sometimes it will be people who are incidentally connected to my life. And uh, I, I find them sort of more the fun ones because... Uh, I'm going to get to know this person almost at the same time as you get to know them. So that's uh, very exciting to me. So uh, welcome to our guest. I said I would ask you two questions. Uh, You know what one of them is. This is the other one. Uh, So uh, who are you? Who am I? Um, I'm a sovereign sire, (laughs) I guess. Sometimes today, right now, I'm sovereign sire. Right. So explain (laughs) to people what that means. Um, the, because, uh, I have a stage name and I have like a stage persona, I guess. So I'm, it's weird because part of me is here is Jasmine, which is who the name that my mother gave me. And then part of me is here as Sovereign Sire because the way you know me is through social media and stuff like that, which is definitely uh, a persona that I created in 2009 to, you know, embark on my journey as like an artist and a performer and all that kind of stuff so that's interesting to me already because i think you may be the first person that we've had on who oh no you're not no i had a musician on as well who uh goes under so he his name is uh, matt ford and he does write under his name matt ford and he's Mm -hmm. like you know quite a accomplished television and sort of you know writer in a lot of other spheres but he was also in a band called machine gun fellatio and he performed under the like the moniker or the stage moniker and was known to everybody as uh piggy beecroft and so when he came on the podcast uh, you know i think he he vacillated between the two as well because the very nature of what we're doing today is, yeah. is probably going to touch on like uh you know both of those things you know who you bring to the, the table today yeah. so how do you deal with that because i can imagine is it easier when you can be one or the other separately or are they always part of the same thing explain to me you know how the relationship between those identities is for you uh they're always they're always both there um i sometimes my relationship to someone can be defined by how comfortably they call me one name or the other Uh like sort of i have noticed that um the friends that i have in the adult industry or the friends that i have um that are also performers will uh, always call me sovereign in in any conversation i just always stay that person to them um I have other friends that it's, I feel like the, the longer they know me, the more comfortable they are calling me Jasmine. And I think it's also, it can be difficult for people because, uh, the nature of my job, sometimes they feel like maybe they don't want to out me per se. Like they don't know how to explain what or who sovereign is. Right. You know? Like it'd be at, like at the Avengers or whatever. They'd be like, you know what it's like Iron Man. Everyone knows that, right? <laughs> Everyone knows Tony Stark's Iron Man, right? Are we all across this? Sorry. If I just, if I accidentally, I'm so, so I just assumed everybody knew. Well, I mean, the thing is like, I used to laugh. So when I first created sovereign, it was because, uh, I was doing modeling, nude modeling and, uh, I was a writer and, but I was also doing like nude modeling, which to me was like, I thought was some kind of, a well, it was like it was sort of an activist act. It was it was intended to be sort of uh, because I'm a really cerebral intellectual person, and within my personal life, I felt very sort of repressed most of my life, and it was a very rebellious act. Um, and 
so when I created Sovereign, it was because people were like, you shouldn't, uh, if you're naked, you shouldn't use your real name because people are crazy, you know, which now I'm, I'm far less concerned with people finding out my real name. It's kind of like, whatever, you know, I mean, if a crazy fan is going to show up at my door, they could probably figure it out anyway. Like, I'd, right. like if, if they, someone's if, that determined, I'm just not worried about it. that much information. Yeah. I'm just not that worried about it. But so like, <laughs> so originally like I, like I picked the name cause I felt like I had to, I would have just right. used my real name. Okay. Um, but, but I picked that name and started working under it and, um, when people are like, oh, it's two different personas, I would laugh. I'd be like, not really. I mean, it's it's literally just a fake name. It's not it's not what a, you know a, a whole new person. Um, now it's been since I took the name on two thousand nine, so it's been like seven years, kind of having these two names. And um, I think now uh, I definitely do feel like uh, there is there's a difference. You know what I mean? Because there's definitely things that I would. Um, say on Twitter or that I would say in my personal life that I wouldn't say on Twitter because I am very conscious of a, an entity called sovereign that should reflect uh, certain views and have like, if people are going to, I won't do porn pod like podcasts with uh, like porn people where they want to talk about pornography and they want to talk about um, all that stuff. I won't do them because I feel like if I'm going to have an honest conversation about pornography, it's going to wilt everyone's boner. Right. You know? <laughs> like, and so, and so it's like, I, it's like, I kind of do it as like a service to, to the podcast. I'm like, right. you really don't want me on there because if you start asking me questions about porn, yeah. I'm going to answer honestly. Yeah, because, I'll be honest. And this is going to be a real bummer for what, yeah, and it's, not it's, a bummer in the way that you were hoping. Right. It's story. just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, and it's not necessarily that it's like, oh, porn is bad, but it's like, it's going to be a very cerebral, right. like intense conversation. Cause like, I really think about it and I take what I do seriously. Yeah. And I, in the same like, way as breakfast radio guys don't really want my opinions on the state of comedy. Yes. They just exactly. want me to say something yeah. funny in about 25 seconds yeah. and then move on to the next topic. Yeah. So, I mean, so like, but at the same time, uh, my, I was, uh, you know, sometimes like a thing will happen where someone will know your real name and, and they'll use it as, and they feel like that, that means that like, I, well, I know Jasmine uh-huh. and I'm like, yeah, it's not like I'm Batman. You know, it's not like, like it, it is a stage name. It's not like they're two completely different people. But, uh, but then my friend was like, no, you kind of are Batman. You're Batman to me. Like, you know, in the sense that, uh, I, I do have this sovereign, you know, some people it's like outing someone as a porn star, but part of me feels like, I don't know. I do feel like a little bit of a superhero in the way, like the emails I get from women are really, you know, they're in a lot of uh, anguish because they feel really repressed in their lives. And, I get a lot of fan mail from those kinds of people that are like, they appreciate what I do because I'm very vocal about my agency and in the acts that I'm performing and that I enjoy my job and that, you know, I think that there can be sacred purpose to it. And, um, I get a, a lot of women are like, I, I wish I could, you know, I have these desires and these things and I really like watching your movies cause I feel like it's someone like me, that's doing these things. Uh, you know, the interesting thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about like sex and all these things on the way. This will ramble all over the place, but that's, I like it. We've, I'm already a terrible guest. I'm already. No, like, no, no, this is great. This is exactly what I want from <laughs> okay. this sort of podcast because the idea of separating, well, firstly, one of the things about sex that is like so interesting to, to me is the idea that 
I think so much of what's wrong with it is the idea that we have black and white views about it. You know, yeah. the, you know this. I mean, the classic, you know, Madonna whore sort of like yeah. idea of like the or that women aren't as interested in sex as men are in sex, or that right. you know, but or that the adult industry is either all glamour or all you know, yeah, you know, terrible. Yeah, like that any industry is that. Yeah. Like, and this is why I always come back to it. Maybe this is a good time to just have this conversation at the start, and then we can, you know, frame stuff through this because. I've met you through comedy, which mm-hmm. is the world that you've come into now. And yeah. I often think about the, you know, the cross section between those two industries yeah. and the way that they're viewed is because essentially somebody is paying for your time to be entertained. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. like as a comedian, like I understand that that's the exact same transactional thing. Now it's a room full of people, but they're all paying you for like, you know, a, a period of your time where they want you to make them feel like, you know, they're the best audience that you have ever had in your entire right. life. Yeah. It doesn't mean that every night I feel like that. Right. And it means that some nights there's shitty crowds and some nights I hate them and some nights that there was people who were heckling or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, this idea that we need to talk about things and, you know, not just these two industries, a range of industries as being like black or white, you know, mm-hmm. that things are perfect solutions, I think is is kind of problematic. But the thing that I was going to say, the thing I'm interested in when it comes to identity is as a comedian – you, you are a different person on stage. Of course you are. You yeah. are a distillation of you and your ideas that you're presenting in a certain way. But at the same time, to your audience, that's the person they have a relationship yeah, that's, that's with. That's who you are. Right? Yeah. So like in the same way as people will have a relationship with Sovereign, yeah. people have a relationship with Will that isn't Will. Right. Like they have a relationship with the person who does this podcast, this Will. They have the relationship with the person on stage telling the jokes, Will. Right. But they don't. This is still an act. Yeah. But my separate identity doesn't have a separate name. And I think that's, you know, even maybe sometimes I, you know, a more complicated, because at least you can go with sovereign. You can go, okay, well, this is, yeah, this is sovereign. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I also okay. perform comedy under the name Sovereign Sire, which is right. like a weird kind of, like, that was like a decision that, that, it was when I, when I got, when I got booked onto my first show at the comedy store, the booker was like, uh, what name should I use? Like, should, are you going to use your real name or, you know, it was like this kind of weird discussion that we were having. And I was like, I guess just use, like, I guess I'm just going to do everything under that name. Cause it's like, right. uh, it's so that's been an interesting kind of, you know, thing. But then I like, I was on another show and someone wanted to bring me up and they were like, Oh, like sexy sovereign. I was like, please don't bring me up that way. No. <laughs> like, because if they don't, if they don't know, then they, it's just sovereign. And then if they do know, then they know. But the last thing I want is like people like, uh, Googling while they're in the front row right? or, or it's like the reason I, mean, I don't it's, do. It's hard enough for people like to get people off their phones yeah. at comedy gigs. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone if there's naked pictures of you on the right, internet. Right, right. And then it's also becomes that thing where it's like if I it's why I don't do material about porn because it's like no matter how funny I think the jokes are, it's kind of uh, porn is at least here in America is uh, such a polarizing thing. If I have like a six minute set, then the first five minutes is like trying to make people okay with the fact right. that I do porn then it only gives me like one minute to like tell a joke, you know? And it's like the minute you say porn, it's like every woman in the audience is like, is she okay? Is she being exploited? Is it okay if I like this? Does she look like a porn star? I don't know if she, you know, it's like, and like, I was like, I wonder what kind of porn she does. Like, like, like it's, it's, they're thinking about anything but like what you're saying. By the way, they're, they're, they're mostly the exact same thoughts most people have watching open mic comedy, which is, this person okay? What happened at home? Is this, well, I think this, is this, this a cry for help? I think this comes back to like the, the overlap of comedy and porn. And 
you know, there are like a lot of superficial reasons that I think they they connect to each other, which is uh, you're kind of famous, but not really. Um, you keep the same hours. You travel a lot. You're alone a lot. You see the world, but you're usually seeing it alone. There is a lot of that kind of stuff. But th- on a deeper level, I think also it's a uh, damage. I think it's like a certain kind of damage that gets you into porn and sort of whatever needs that are being fulfilled, whatever narratives are being rewritten when you're doing scenes. Uh, but there's definitely like some kind of a damage there. And I think with comedy, it's the same thing. It's it's people that are funny in, in, in addition to being really intelligent usually are grappling with some kind of damage. Like they're not necessarily well-adjusted people. Like my favorite people are comics, but like most of them are very naked in their uh their their dysfunction you know i mean like a lot of their best material comes from talking about the fact that they're damaged that they you know whether it's they can't find love they can't seem to get happy uh you know they can't seem to find a place where they fit in or they feel alienated by society whatever the thing is and i think that like for better or worse i think that's why there will always be a relationship between uh sex workers and comics and show folk and burlesque you know it's all kind of you know what makes you want to go out and perform and live a life of solitude and poverty unless you get very lucky you know i think it's it's all stemming kind of from the same place oh you know i absolutely absolutely agree with that and like this idea that you are somehow outside the system yeah. You know, like you you work in this – like, I mean, I, I say it about comedy. Certainly when I started 20 years ago in Australia, it was genuinely like running away to join the circus. Yeah. And part of the appeal was you didn't want to live how other people live. Yeah. You know, I like that it's a Monday at midday and right. this is our office today. Yeah. It's awesome. Right. You know, absolutely. I agree. Okay. So um, we've we've gone about 13 minutes in and I haven't asked you what your philosophy is, which is not too bad. Sometimes I get a whole episode in and I forget that that's the point of it. But I'm going to ask you and then we can like reframe and ask because all this is all going to be fascinating. So tell me, do you have a specific philosophy? I do. Um, I actually wrote a thing that went viral on Tumblr about six years ago oh, uh, called uh, I think I titled it like uh, about other people okay. and sort of like 25 like principles for living with other people. Um, I think, and surprisingly and credit to my younger self, like I still believe all of these things Is like are, right? are very solid advice. You know what I mean? Like, um, but I think I've refined it over time. I could, I could look it up, but um, I think now my main thing is like get free is probably like the overarching philosophy is get free. You know, whatever it is, whenever you you find yourself coming up against resistance, like get rid of it. You know, um, I, I have a friend Mason, she's a director and she, um, she was really influential in, in getting me through a lot of hard times where I, you know, I would say something like, like, I don't, you know, I don't like that guy or I don't, you know, I don't want to work with this person. It's like, and she'd be like, yeah, but they're very popular. And like, if you, if you work with them, then like, can you just get over it? Like, like she was very good at sort of, of um, introducing to me this idea of like, it's a choice. Every second it's a choice to be overwhelmed by your feelings or, or not. Like those, those are choices that you're, that you can make and that you can make choices that benefit you and that you don't have to be a slave to your fear, your anger, your resentment like all of that stuff, like you can have your feelings, but you don't have to be ruled by them. And I think, uh, so get free is a big one. And also as, as a be discerning and be decisive, you know, like, like that's my sort of like life philosophy in terms of, um, 
ma- like for I, which I guess could tell you a lot about who I am as a person, which is I struggle a lot with like making decisions and being kind of a Hamlet in, in my life. So a lot of my philosophy is around basically pushing myself out of that, out of that rut. Oh, that paralysis. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, the two seem connected to me, like, you know, in that way that firstly, I, I, look, I, I, I really get what you're saying about the idea of, because anytime you talk about the idea of like being in control of your own emotions or being in control of your own journey, you know, that idea of like, you know, choice that yeah. I, I chose this, you know, yeah. then what that also comes with is all the terrible choices that you've made. Yes. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. a very hard thing for people to get their head around because, and it's why people don't want to move on on things. Yeah. Like it's why people who even think that like, you know, say in Australia, like marriage equality still isn't a thing. Right. And there is a certain part of the population who probably think it, it can be a thing, but the only thing that's holding them back is they think that that means that, you know, those homophobic things that they said in the past or the mistakes they made previously, they'd right. rather hold on to this outdated yeah. thing mm-hmm. than acknowledge yeah. that they, you know, have to evolve and change and, and be like that. And I get that. Yeah. Something I find really like handy, like, you know, in those times when it's overwhelmed, like, you know, like oh, the other day I was just late for something. It was unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Some stuff had happened. There was a traffic right. thing. It wasn't my fault. And I was in the car. And it's one of those moments where you could really just start to, you know, melt down and panic and I'm yeah, going to yeah. be late and blah, blah, blah. And just simply reminding you that all the mistakes that have been made have been made already and you can't do anything yeah. about that. Yeah. And going, okay, well, now my choice is how do I go forward from where I am now? Yeah. Well, I think it's the, like the other thing is, is uh, so what is a question I ask myself a lot when, when I find myself in circumstances like that. Like um, I didn't say the right thing. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And I'll sit back and I'm usually that's a constant internal dialogue is right. so what or and yeah. like, you know, because because I think, you're a human and you make mistakes. Yeah. And, and, and I think the biggest course, thing is so like what? is is detachment, you know, that it's like that very Zen thing of like, OK, like it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out right. or I'm going to be late or, um, you know, I fucked that guy and now I regret it and I don't want everyone to find out. It's like, (laughs) so what? It's like, you know, like shit happens and people only, I feel like people only pick up what you put down, you know? And it's like, if you, if you walk into a situation, you're like, like, so what, you know, it's people kind of, they leave it alone because they find that, that people, people pick up everything when you come in. I think people are way more intuitive than they think they are. You know, and they may not even realize that they're reacting to um, doors that you've opened, that they're walking through them because, you know, but they are, you know, because I think everyone is, everything is, everyone is constantly like jockeying for a power position because everyone wants to feel powerful. I mean, people are always like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember the first thing I ever wanted to be when I grew up was powerful, you know, and I think that, that everyone want, is striving for that. That's why people go to the gym and want to be like women want to be beautiful because that means they're that gives them more social value, which gives them more power. Uh, men want to be like as many female partners as they can, all, like earn a lot of money. Like all of these things come to being social. Like they want to be valued by other people so that they can feel powerful. And so in every interaction that we have every day, there's a constant negotiation going on. It's a very, I, for me, life is very Foucaultian. It's like power is not like a, a thing you have. It's a site of struggle. It's, it's a power is more of like a, a verb. It's, it's something that's happening. Um, and every day we're all doing it all the time, whether it's the way we say hello, whether or not we say hello, how much eye contact we, all of these things are these like subtle, like cues that we're giving to other people that indicate to them how we should be treated. You know, and once you realize that you have total, you can't control other people ever. 
you know, you can, you can hope for certain outcomes, but you can have absolute control over yourself every second of the day, you know? And it's like, so I, I do a lot of things like condition myself to, if I'm feeling sad to look up and it's like that, like I have these little tricks like that. Like you can just like look up and it's, it will improve your mood. If you look up at the sky, if you look at the things going on around you, it's like the, you at any moment you can be in control of these things, you know? And like when I meet people to try to make eye contact and to try to speak with like volume in my voice, like to, so that I'm can be assured that like I'm being treated like I'm not being treated like a doormat, you know? Like, so uh, like for me, it's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Like that's, it's really interesting. <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, that's, it's, it's really interesting because I think that that idea of, um, you know, you can't control how other people behave, but you can control your interaction with their behavior yeah. is like a really powerful idea because I think that so often that's the step that people get tripped over by, yeah. mm-hmm. right? You know, you've recognized that your friend demonstrates, it, it demonstrates all these like, you know, behaviors that you're not comfortable with, but instead of you either reconciling yourself with that or approaching them and kind of finding some peace between that. Instead, what you do is you send yourself crazy because your friend doesn't act in the way that you think they should. Right. And that's that step, you know, it's that step in between, you know, where two people want something and, but neither of them are communicating or or you, or you can't reconcile your, I like I, there was a friend of mine. This I'll probably I'll try to give it a practical example, which probably gives it a better you know, <laughs> a, a, a capacity to understand it. But there's a friend of ours, a friend of a group of friends of ours, who you know has just like a range of like really on front street faults. You know mm-hmm. how everyone has faults, but yes. some people you know just wear their faults yes. you know blindly on their yes. sleeve, and so they <laughs> become the topic of everybody else's conversation about yeah. you know. And there was just a point where I was like, well, are we friends with him or are we people who talk about him mainly behind his back all the right. time, right? Yeah. Now, it can be either, but I don't think it can be both. Right. And so I, I'm just going to be his friend and I'm going to go, well, you know what? Now I know. Like, it's like, you know, if you buy a house and the plumbing's bad, yeah. you could be angry about the plumbing being bad. But if you then buy this other house where you know the plumbing's bad – then you can't be angry when the plumbing's bad. You've right. got to do yeah. something to fix the plumbing or you've got to go, yeah. well, we're dealing with the, like, you know. Yeah. No, and I think about this all the time. My friend, I'm really good. Um, I, so I double majored in English literature and sociology in uh-huh. college. And um, So where did, where are you from? Where did that, where where did you go to college? I went to college in Fresno, California. Okay. Um, it's a little, ta- a little agricultural town. It's not Is that so right? little anymore. But, um, and then I went to the MFA there and creative writing and poetry. Um, a lot of people don't know this school, but the last two poet laureates of the United States that we've had, Phil Levine and Juan Felipe Herrera, uh, both came out of my program, both like designed it and came out of it. So I, I went to a pretty good, solid uh, poetry school is that does that mean there's a chance that still at some stage you will be the next poet laureate of America? Uh, wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, if someone like me could do. I I would like to think. That. I think about that stuff all the time. Right. I'd like to think that it would be possible. But you know what? In my lifetime, don't you for think someone so? that's done the things that I've done, to don't you be think able so? Be I mean, this might be a conversation we get back to again later. But like, I think the changing sort of face of you know the way that, that you know. I mean, sex in particular, because of the, you know, when we talk about the imprint of technology, often we don't expand that conversation out anywhere near as broadly as we yeah. should, because the way that it Im- like affects our society is in so many different ways. But one of it will be people's accessibility to knowing about or learning about or, you know, the, A, that everybody's 
apparently sent a picture of their dick on the internet. Like, yeah. Apparently I was just two years too late or yeah. whatever for that to happen. <laughs> like I just woke up one day and kept reading the paper and I was like, apparently everybody's sending pictures yeah. of their dick on the internet. Yeah. So And it's like tattoos, I think, which means that at some point – if yeah. so many people have done something, then that thing just has it, to I become mean, a normal part like of society. What's it like in Australia? Because isn't sex work is legal in Australia, right? Sex work is legal in Australia, yes. How, So now, what is I, the Australian kind of attitude about stuff like that? I believe it's different from state to state. But, oh, I mean, like prostitution, mm-hmm. like... Like, well, are, do really? women go, I'm a prostitute or I have worked as a prostitute? Or, Look, or I, is it still something that people... Or everyone's just been a hostess at the brothel? Is that... <sighs> Like, what's that kind of temperature? I mean, I, I, look, I, I'm answering on behalf of a group that I don't, yeah. like, <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't speak for. But, uh, but at some stage, I, I know a few people, like, actually through Twitter, which is, again, this is the brilliant way to meet all these people. Like, you know, I follow just such a range of people on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's certainly taught me a lot about, like, you know, the sex work in- industry. And, like, you know, I follow a few people who, you know, have become kind of prominent voices and activists. Right. So there's a... Girl in Australia, a lady in Australia called, I think the name, her name is Lucy B or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I know that she has uh, like pr- uh, cropped up on a bunch of uh, like prominent television shows recently uh-huh. as a, you know, working sex worker right. who is also an advocate for the industry. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk on those issues. And the fact that, you know, you have a sex worker panelist on this thing and the next day there's not, a, you know, yeah, a, a, a barrage of letters to the news, but but no, I wouldn't have thought that. Like you know, you're at a dinner party, you'd still tell people that you're a sex worker. But maybe people do. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to have some people on who can you know tell well, me. Well, I mean, let it's, me know, it's I mean, it's interesting because I like I've even wrestled with like my own relationship to. I mean, like part of the reason that I got into adult was there was a part of me that was, um, it was, it was. I would, I just wanted to do something to, I was like having a little bit of a nervous breakdown because I had gone to school my whole life to be like a professor and all Uh this stuff. And I get through the program and I was like 21 years old or something. And I was teaching English one at the college at university. And I realized that this, and there was this moment when it locked in that like, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life and you're going to write on the weekends and whatever. And I realized that I hated it, that I had never taken any risks in my life. I'd always been just because I grew up in poverty. My, I had been told my whole life that getting an education was like literally, it was either getting marrying up, which I didn't want to do or, or getting an education. But so it was like either like marry some guy and be totally reliant on him to take care of your needs. And I was like looking around in the, in like my ghetto neighborhood with all these single moms. And I was like, not that's a bet I don't want to take like I just it seems a little risky (laughs) like like hoping you're gonna land on red or black you know on the roulette wheel of life uh and so I just head down like done so well in school but had done no living you know like I'd clung to the institution of school and so then I I get to that and uh I'm getting ready to graduate and I just like needed to do something that was going to complete. I just wanted to disrupt it in some way. It's like, I just needed to do something. I was like, I'm, I can't live this life. And I kind of wanted to, to jump into a pool that I wouldn't be able to get out of. And like porn was kind of one of those things where it's like, or being naked on the internet, like whatever this, the first steps were, it's like, there was, 
I wanted to throw myself into the deep end where I would, I would be forced to swim to something, you know, and that's now like I'm, I'm where I am now. Um, but so in the five years that I've done it, I I've had a, a nuanced and complex relationship with shame, with fear, with guilt, with, um, pride, with like all kinds of all the, all the range of emotions, uh, that come with, porn star that come with that kind of because first you're like well I'm not really a star I'm not like doing anything and even now I wouldn't say I was necessarily a star um but I was on a set the other day and someone was like no no you're definitely like every girl that comes in here always like wants to work with you like like you've earned it you can say it like it's but um, well it's like a um the difference between it like someone who's done a few open mics calling themselves a comedian right it's like there's actually... always a weird thing like at what point am I allowed to say because I used to say like I'm an adult performer and then at some right. point someone was like she's a porn star but um I've wrestled uh, what, with like, like whether or not, like uh, I, an example. So I was, um, I was in Toronto and I was uh, hanging out with Dave Foley actually and, uh-huh. and had dinner at like Scott Thompson's house and, and like all the kids are like there and, um, and they're turning to me. It's like, Oh, so like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a writer. Like I, <laughs> I write on this show, boss bitches of history, this like edutainment program and all this stuff. And there was, then we're talking and then Davey's like, also, uh, <laughs> Jasmine is a very successful porn performer. Right. Like, but his thing was just like, like there's be a proud of what you like. You, like there's nothing right. wrong with what you do. And it was this thing of like, that was like me doing it. You know, that was like me, like trying to obscure in some way, something that I, I just was like, well, I don't, I don't want to make anyone at the table uncomfortable, you know? Right. <laughs> like, no, no, but I get that because it's still in that position where, I mean, look, it's the same you know, we, there are plenty of conversations about drug use or about other things that I would happily have with certain groups of people they wouldn't have with my parents or right. I wouldn't have it like a... Well, but I mean, I know. think I think the... I, I guess the reason I was name dropping in that story is like because we're talking about the kids in the hall. Like right. these are guys that... <laughs> That like have made a career like dressing up as women yeah. and telling like dick jokes, you know, right. like it was like even amongst that company, I was like, I don't know, might be a little too classy. Like, right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I don't like 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 Scott Thompson made some joke about a parboiled carrot like and shoving it up his ass or something like that, you know, at the table. And I'm like, I don't know. Might be a little much Okay, but here's <laughs> OK. Here's a question, though. Like, yeah. you know, you talk about it being your hang up. Yeah. Right. But is there a difference between like so? For example, like if I get in a in Australia, here's a little weird difference between our two countries. Okay. <laughs> in, in Australia, if you're a man alone in a taxi cab, you will ride in the front seat of the taxi cab, right? Okay. Like always get in the front seat. If you try that here, some Armenian will try to kill you. But right. like if you, but uh, in Australia, that's what you do. You'll have like a bit of a chat or whatever. I will never tell them I'm a comedian. Because right. I know that what that means is that the, all our conversation will be about the same things that I have to talk about over and over and over right. again. Yeah. And I imagine that when you've done like, you know, porn work, it's still a fascinating topic to people. Yes. So that every time you bring it up, you understand that the minute I bring this up, the minute I mention at this party that I'm a comedian, the minute I mean, mm-hmm. that's all that this conversation is going to be about. And maybe just some nights you don't feel yeah. like having that conversation oh, yeah. there's, there's definitely that's know. definitely part of it too is is um having to deal with people's complex relationship with sex and uh, specifically their sexuality you know um right. certain guys and, I mean, the minute they find out it's yeah. like okay uh, so tell me like this is what i want to know what are people's reactions when they find out that, um, you, that you that you uh do porn yeah there's um there's the cool guy or the cool girl 
uh-huh. who was like, oh, I don't even care. You know? Okay. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. You care. Uh, the, number you care. the number one sign uh, that you don't care about something is uh, saying that you don't care yeah. about something. Yeah, sure. Um, two is, oh, I know like a lot of people in the adult industry, you know, who? Oh, okay. And then it'll usually end up being some person that like did one scene that like, I was like, oh, you've never heard of. And like, uh, sure. Yeah, you know? okay. sure. Um, and then there's the, uh, there's the guy that, um, is immediately fascinated because he thinks he's going to get some kind of like a porn star experience. Uh-huh. Um, there's other people that just, the main thing is like people make a lot of assumptions about the way you conduct your life off camera because of the job you do. And my thing is like, I don't know any more or less about sex than the next person. Right. I just happen to be open to letting someone film me having sex. It doesn't make me an expert at sex. It doesn't make me more sexually adventurous than anybody else. It's literally just means like, sure, you can film this. That's awesome. You know, like, uh, yeah, I'll take some money for that. That's great. Now I can only work four times a month and then I can write for, you know, the 25 other days. Like people, always want to talk about sex work uh, and the woman's relationship to sex. They never want to talk about her relationship to work. It's like the work part of the word never comes into play. But, you know, most people that do porn are doing it because of their relationship to work. It's a single mom that wants to be able to stay home with her kids and can't afford childcare. Great. She can do porn. She can work four days a month and she can make enough money to pay bills or whatever. And she can still be a stay at home mom, essentially, you know, she's only got to find a babysitter four days out of the month. That's a great incentive. You know, there's a lot of women in porn or in uh, escorting and all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, well, there I for- mean, that goes so, back to your get free thing, which yeah. is them trying to get free of some, like, you know, a financial situation yeah. or like an opportunity to, you know, have some more space to do something else. Yeah. That they want. And it's like, and I, like, I, the reason I got into adult was I wanted to, um, express my sexuality. I'd been very, very repressed. I came to sex late and, uh, and, but also because I wanted a job where I would have time to pursue the things, you know, I was working on a novel. I was like, I I wanted to have time to do those things and not have to be stressed out about how I was going to pay my rent or having to get emotionally involved in another workplace where I was, you know, going to have a very like submissive service oriented personality. So if I get in a group setting, I'm immediately going to try to like please the boss, you know, and like, that just puts me in a headspace where, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I have to like find the right work environment or I'm screwed like that kind of a, a scenario. So, you know, I came those, that's why I do it. But people will assume like (laughs) you must do it because like, you're really slutty. You're like sexually voracious. You cannot get enough. You're fucking every single day of the week and every orifice you have, you love everything. You're turned on by literally everyone. Uh, Do you want my dick too? Like, it's this kind of like thing where it's like, like this idea that like, there's, there's no discernment that I will fuck anyone that, you know, it's like this, it it becomes this weird fantasy they have of the kind of person that would do porn. Like they, no one ever wants to relate too much to you, you know, because if they relate too much to you, they can't objectify you anymore. And then it makes them feel, have a very, you know, uncomfortable feelings when they watch porn. Uh, It's interesting to me. uh, Sometimes I think that, when I was younger, mm-hmm. I was a funny person in real life. Like I remember me being like the funny one of my friends. Right. Uh-huh. But that I am so far from that now yeah. because I do comedy so often yeah. that I think that when I'm not, uh, you know, and I and I wonder if like, you know, when, I, when we talk about these different personalities mm-hmm. that, you know, the, uh, there is this different like me mm-hmm. and that me gets to be funny all the time. 
Right. But sometimes I'm so tired of being that me when I'm yeah. in my rest of my life that it's almost like that me's robbed a little bit of that from my life. Yeah. Is there that as well? Does like sometimes do you it, 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 like if you're you know working like in in that industry does it rob from that part of your life in your real life? That's a difficult question. I mean, I don't even know really what I'm asking, uh, no, you, but I, I can't. I, you know, I, I kind of, you know, if the idea of these. I mean, for, to use, I find the, yeah, you know, I find the, I find the more I'm working, the hornier, the hornier I am. Like, like I find like that. Like, if I'm working a lot, it's like that part of my whatever right. is now charged up. You're in that it's, mode. It's in, I'm in that mode yeah, where it's okay. like, I do like, I become more sexual yeah. Uh, because yeah, that engine's been turned on, right. you know, and it's been run around the track. And, um, but at the same time, okay. It's nuanced because of gender issues. So in society, women are encouraged. We all want to fit like a beauty standard because we want to be sexually uh, desirable to men because that makes us valuable socially and that makes us powerful. So, you know, uh, so a lot of times that makes, I think women's relationships to their body, they don't view their body as an instrument of pleasure. They view it as an instrument of power. It's like a means to get power. You know, Uh it's like a crowbar that they can use to like leverage uh, power. Now doing porn, it's like, I've had an amazing relationship with my body, not sexually, but because I see images of myself, whether I'm bloated that day, whether I gained 15 pounds, whether I lost 15 pounds, whether I had a zit, whether like whatever was going on that day, there are a hundred images of of like a hundred different images of it floating around online. I've Googled myself and I think there's upwards of 500,000 to a million images of me online, almost all of them with a dick in my mouth. Um, and me too, but most of the dicks were added later. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's pretty similar. Like, but it's that thing where it's like, so on, on one hand, it's like it's made me um, very comfortable in my body. Right. You know, I used to have so many insecurities, and now I'm kind of like, whatever. Like right. that, like I'm beautiful, I'm sexual, I'm good at fucking, I like to fuck, I can get guys to fuck me, I can you know, like. And, and I'm good. Like, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I don't spend a lot of time being super insecure about whether or not I'm good enough. You know what I mean? I'm just like, it's out there. And it's like after like the 50th image that I hated where I was like, oh, God, I, right. I look terrible. Um, and then like you get over it. And it's like this weird kind of like acceptance where you're like, huh, what a, how amazing to be free of that, that bullshit. Because as a female, I don't think you realize how much headspace that actually occupies. Um, the other thing is, you know, girls want to be sexually desirable to men. Like, I don't, I can't think of a guy I couldn't get to fuck me. If for no, even if he didn't want to be with me, because he wants the, he just curiosity, like, right. but she's a porn star. Sure. So it's like, so that's this other thing where it's like, eh, just not as worried about it. So in the terms of like, do I get, <laughs> do I get tired of it or does it make me less sexual? Right. I think I have way less patience for guys like kind of ham handedly sort of bringing their sexuality to me. Like it's broken. Can you fix it? Like I have a lot less tolerance for that. So right. it's like in that way it has made me like tired, <laughs> like, I'm like a tired old whore. Just meh. like get out of it. Like, no, I can't fix your toy, honey. I'm sorry. You know, like, like take it to the girl next door. Um, that doesn't know better. doesn't know what she could be getting out of life. You know, right. that her life doesn't have to be out taking care of your problems. But, um, so in that way it has made me tired. You know what I mean? It's like, um, I get like, it is really hard to date me. Like, uh, I don't have, 
I have a really low uh, threshold for being hit on. You know what I mean? Like, so in that way it has kind of, because it's like, I've gone through it so much. The minute someone hits on me, it's like one or two texts. I know exactly who you're going to be. I know exactly who you're going to be. And then I make this choice like, yeah or no, you know, is this the, do I want to deal with this? Not really. Like, you know, so in that way it definitely has. And it's hard because I have like coworkers that I know are, I'm I'm attracted to. That's you by the way, just like, again, you actively making that choice. Yeah. You know, rather than you getting caught up in the, like you're seeing yourself, you can literally go, well, okay, I I see where this is going and I can still make a choice to let it go where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, I guess in that way it's affected it. And it's, and it is kind of like spoilt for choice too, because it's, you know, I've only actually I've only done twenty scenes with men in my entire career. Uh-huh. I'm primarily a girl on girl only performer. Um, so in five years, I've done like twenty scenes, and of those are with the same eight guys that I like. And so the other weird thing is because it's like there's guys like I know that I am sexually attracted to them. I know that they know how to fuck me in a way that I like to be fucked. And I can just text them and say, "Hey, it's been three months. Can you come handle this?" And they'll right. go like, "Sure." like be right over, you know, or I can do it Tuesday. Is that cool for you? Right. And like, <laughs> so then if I got some like Joe Schmoes, like, huh, you're like really pretty. Right. And I'm like, yeah. sorry, mate. I've got a, <laughs> I got a, I got a professional fucking in 10 a.m. Right. on Tuesday morning. So, but you know what I mean? It's like, so in that way it's kind of like, but I mean, that just like, that doesn't go because you know, a lot of people I work with don't share my interests. Right. You know, so it's not to say that I, I'm not interested in other men, you know, it's like, um, because, no, no, because I, I'm a, I'm a smart girl and, and I like show. comedy and music and I have things that I'm passionate about. I love history. I like to go to museums and stuff. I love to laugh. I love to go out and be social and, and I like people to pay attention to me and I like to interact with other people and hear about them. And I like to be entertained by people. I love comics. They're so charismatic and, and I love being like, and I'm not necessarily going to get that from my coworkers, you know? And so it's also kind of a, a complicated situation. Cause it's like, it's kind of like I can get one need met here, but then I have to go get these other needs. And I would love to be in a situation where I could actually get both needs met in the same place. Right. So it's like, I, I do, it's not like, that's why I let anyone hit on me. Cause it's like, I'm always hoping <laughs> Like, will you be the one? You right. Know, like, oh, like, no. Well, of yeah, course. You know, like, like, can you laugh and also have sex and not make it weird? Right. Okay. You know? <laughs> like, can you can you not hate my job because it's the only way that I'm going to make money? You know, it's like, right. I'm, not, I'm not doing enough comedy to be making money at it yet. I mean, my podcast, like, that's starting to change. My podcast is starting to be something that's bringing in money. But for the time being, like, my primary source of income is my vagina, you know? And so that is another layer of... I found a lot of guys that, that uh, are fine with it, but it's always this negotiation that, like where you have to sort of have a talk about it. Like, like, is this okay with you? And understanding that people are human. And so something that they were okay with when you're on your third date and three months in and they, they're in love with you and they, and that's, and I understand that's very understandable that once you have an emotional investment in someone, it starts to feel different, you know? Oh yeah. But not just that. I mean, that's like, you know, a point that anyone could reflect on a little bit more, which is this idea that in any type of relationship, you're not in the same relationship as you were on day one. Mm -hmm. Like, and you know, it was something I had to reconcile even with the relationship with your audience, which is at some stage, 
you know, people who like this now won't want, need or have a place for this in their lives or worlds. Yeah. And that's okay. Because sometimes, you know, a person is just kind of right for you when they're right for you. And they're not always the same person. Now, I think if we have more of a negotiation or more of just a recognition of that along the way, then you can have longer lasting relationships in all those senses. Yeah. But you're not the same person. Right. These two people, like that's why bands, you look at these bands who all hate each other. They get back together because they make something beautiful together. Right. But they get to a point where they all just fucking hate each other. Yeah. Watch that Metallica documentary. Well, you know what's really funny is I was just um, – I watched that Lemonade, the Beyonce uh, Lemonade okay. thing. Talk to like me about this. Okay. That's about um, infidelity and all that right. kind of stuff. And then I was like watching old Fleetwood Mac videos with Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. And I was like, you know, it's really it's really potent, that kind of artistic connection and, and that need for love and – but also that need for strife, you know, it's like, I think that we need to put ourselves in these situations in which the stakes are kind of high. Otherwise you don't feel like you're living your life. You know, it's like, it's, I think it's, you know, why we're compelled in the way, the directions that we're compelled with people, you know, it's like, I think that we always kind of make the choice that's a little bit more chaotic because, you know, the highs are higher, the lows are lower, but it's like, that's kind of what, I don't think anyone wants a stable relationship really because it's boring. Well, I mean, I think you know. there are plenty of people who do, but I think well, that there think, are certainly... Well, they think they do. Well, I think people like you and I and people who are circus folk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Show know, folk, yes. It's, your, it's, it's, a, your, it's a unique breed of person, I right. think, for sure. You want some troubles. It's, yeah. It's hard to write comedy about how good your life is. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, uh, well, what I was going to ask you about was Beyonce, because uh, one of the things that I have been endeavoring to do of late, and I don't say this in any way to boast, I say this as a very late in life recognition of something I should have been doing more of previously, which mm-hmm. is consume. One of the things I read this great article uh, about, um, you know, practical steps. If you, you know, if you are. If you want to call yourself a feminist, or if even right. I don't even want to call myself a feminist, I mm-hmm. want to behave in a way that is feminist in the way that I behave. Right. And this was like just a practical <coughs> list of some things you could do. And one of them that really resonated with me was that you, you try to consume as much female-made art as you consume male-made art. Right. And when I looked at that one, that's that was one on my list mm-hmm. that I fail in big time. Like the yeah. majority of the music I like is by men. Right. Like I can assume a lot of like I mean it's very I mean of course obviously by the nature of entertainment you right. know a lot of it's by men. Yeah. But when there are big female artists, I probably haven't over my time. Yeah, gone. Like everyone loves Beyonce. Obviously, she's doing these amazing things. Yeah. And I haven't gone out of my way to go. I'm going to go and sit down with some Beyonce and work out what it is that people. I think if I I would definitely watch <laughs> Lemonade. Like I think it's um, even as a even though as a white female, like there were certain because there's obviously like sort of racial elements to it where it's like there's a dialogue going on about race that's kind of a conversation she's having with other black women. There's a whole bunch of things in this that I won't yeah. get, but I'm <laughs> but but at the same time she's also but she's also talking about infidelity. She's right. talking about and there's been spec like her father was very famously kind of cheated on on her mom and they it, uh, strained the relationship and you see her talking about that but then there's also like this idea that she's been cheated on by her husband Jay-Z and and it's and there's a journey that happens in this hour long thing where it's like you see her sort of negotiating like all of these things of like you were unfaithful and I feel like terrible and now I'm angry at you and now it's like how are we going to make this work and like okay like we're like let's we're going to heal this and we're going to do this and it's like it's 
very brave because obviously it's like, this is a very public relationship and it's like, and she's not directly confronting like rumors that have been in the media, but you're watching someone work through infidelity. And like, that's this universal thing. I think like we've all experienced betrayal, you know, and been consumed by it, like defined by it. Um, like, permanently changed by it, whether it was from a parent or a spouse or whatever. But I think everyone's experienced that um, disappointment, you know, in the soul, like in the seaweed of your soul kind of disappointment that changes the way you look at the world. I mean, the the even more interesting thing, well, I mean, that in itself is interesting enough, but the even more interesting thing, and the reason that I think, you know, this is the moment that I was like, oh, you know what, I'm going to, I've read all about it over the last couple of days since it came out and I've been trying to get my head around what it is that I'm going to watch and why I should be watching and all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And that theme certainly is is one of the things that I found really interesting. But the other thing is that it feels like, and this is the more difficult thing, although the thing that I think more people struggle with and is ever acknowledged in this sort of art, which is that it's that maybe they're going to try to repair or have repaired the relationship. Yeah. And I think that's the, cause it's easy enough to go, that person betrayed me. Right. Let's never have a relationship yeah. again. But yeah. the truth is, I think on more levels than ever, you know, whether it's family or whether it is your partner or whatever, more relationships are actually more based on, well, this thing happened that right. we did not think that we could move past. Do we want to move past it? And if so, how do we move past it? And then right. what does that look like? Yeah. And Which, yeah, and that, and that was the thing that impressed me about it too was was that it's like you are going on this journey where, where, um, the question is sort of like, okay, well, how deeply am I going to live my life? Right. Like how how you know like it starts with this image of her sort of talking about infidelity and then jumping off, uh, out the ledge of a window like to the street, you know, like killing herself essentially. And then she like sort of lands in water and it's like, then she's underwater in, in a house and it's like a house that's completely submerged underwater where you can't breathe. It's a very potent metaphor for what it's like to be in a, in a marriage where you feel, you know, like you, well, you maybe. cannot, you know, like, like that you literally can't breathe, you know, it's right. like that you're in a house where like you don't, you can't exist, you know? And it's like, so, I mean, she, like out the gate, it's like, it's, it's going, you know, you, you know what kind of a ride you're in for, but, um, it seemed like the overarching question became this one of like, you know, that forgiveness has to be like, she has, there's several shots where it's like, uh, women, mothers of, of, uh, black teenagers that have been gunned down on the streets and they're like sitting there holding pictures of their dead children at very potent, you know? And, um, and the message that for me that I was getting was this idea of like, like that process on the other side of, of catastrophe, you know, that healing process, like how, how do you begin to rearticulate a world that's been blown apart by some kind of like a devastating thing, like the loss of a child or like the loss of a partner, like, you know, and, uh, I think it was beautiful and like very grown up, you know, this, like, it was, it was very moving. It was very powerful you know, which is weird for a pop star. And it's like, it's what's more amazing is that having a platform like she does, she's, she's going in, you Continually. know, yeah. and, and the other thing, <laughs> I mean, the, like, uh, you know, the idea that like as a comedian, sometimes, you know, if you mention somebody from your life or you retell a story or you reframe it, you know, an anecdote or whatever, like, you know, it's, it's so hard for that other person or it can be difficult for that other person, but to, like even as an artist to mm-hmm. say, well, you know, and I mean, if we're moving forward, here's how I'm, I'm putting all like, cause they, I mean, you know, it's not like 
you know, just because like she speaks in analogies or metaphors or whatever that everyone didn't know immediately what every, you know, this whole thing was kind of, you know, about or at least is discussing in some sort of ways yeah. and whatever. And to have that awareness and I go, I'm, I'm going to work through this publicly in this like, you know, hugely artistic way. Like, I mean, the fact that she's made this thing and she drops this album and she, like, like you said, that she is, she could have just kept making Beyonce albums and they, yeah. and sold like, but she really, I mean, even at the Super Bowl, like, I mean, that's when I think I started to really start to go, like, like well, way too late to the party. I was like, hang on, like, what's, what's going but on no, with but this that's, I think it's new and it's, I think it's that thing of like, that question you ask about success, which is like, she's going to be 35, I think. And like, I think there's a significance in that sort of like, okay, like you ascend to the 1%. You're now part of the 1%. You're super successful. You're like the most famous woman in the world, like all of these things. Um, So now what are you going to do? You know? And it's like, and so what I see also as an artist going like, I'm going to show up. Like that's what I'm going to do is it's like, it's like, here I am. Like now I I better do something with it. So I think like formation to like, the first thing was like, she had had another visual album that was like, I think three years ago she dropped. Yeah. Um, that was like starting to get into this stuff. It's like a lot of body image stuff, beauty pageant. Like there was a lot of stuff. She was, she was kind of going in on like, all right, what does it mean to be a woman in this culture? And to have had success as a black woman who with some weight on her, And, you know, like in that way, kind of having, she doesn't fit the standard, you know? And so it's like, she's sort of having this like dialogue with us. And then like formation was like, that was the first, like, that was like, she was really going into like, she was like really getting political. And this one, I mean, it's like, it's like out of control. I mean, it's, it's so, but so I see an artist evolving going like, okay, like I have all this success. And instead of relying on that, now I'm going to try to like say something, you know? And I think. Um, and I think that's rare. Like that's, I'm like David Bowie, maybe like, yeah, I mean, he's for a, someone that just kept evolving for like, a pop just artist, constantly, yeah. you know, to, to evolve in this way. Yeah. Like, you know, and to still be able to be pop with it because like you see bands like a Radiohead or whatever at the height of okay computer going, well, we're not going to be Coldplay. We're going to go off and make our weird sort of, you know, yeah. Mo- yeah, in- music that interests us yeah. and we'll still keep a great amount of our fans, but we're not going to, but Beyonce kind of has managed to do this and really still, you know, be well, as big as she wants, which is, like, I think is interesting. How do you feel like in comedy? Cause like, I know for me, like comedians that really resonated with me, Cause my, like, I think the way that I got into comedy was I, I have two fathers of an opt- an adoptive father and an, a natural father. Uh-huh. My, my natural father was a huge comedy fan okay. and he liked very specifically like Lenny Bruce, Bill Hicks, this kind of stuff. And I remember as a little kid, like the first thing I remember doing is memorizing all of the, the bits right. and then doing them at, at my dad's part. Like, you know what I mean? Like from, and my dad loving it. And oh. it was like this, it was, why, it was like why, this, why wouldn't he love that? <laughs> it was, but Can it was you like, imagine? It was, it was this way of connecting like a little girl doing, <laughs> doing like Bill Hicks. Bruce and, and I Bill was, Hicks yeah, I would love little that. kid, if like little cre- blonde haired, blue eyed girl, just like, if that yeah. wasn't a creepy thing for me to arrange, <laughs> I would arrange that now just for fun. But yeah, it was, it was a way that I, that we bonded together. Uh, and so like, I, you know, so I kind of got that, uh, and I remember just like, you know, with Bill Hicks, like once I was old enough to understand what he was talking about oh. and being like really, you know, like, so way to go dad for at least putting that influence in there, <laughs> like dropping it in. Um, that was like kind of his sole contribution as a parent, but thank you. Um, but when I see comedians, you know, it's like, cause there's, uh, you know, comedians that it seems like you either have to be Dane Cook 
or like Mark Marin. Like like you're either like broad appeal, selling out arenas, or you're like Mark, like just barely getting into to theaters, you know, like kind of, but definitely I would say something with like, um, I don't want to say like more integrity, but I think just something that's like, you know, more message driven. Yeah. Like there's, there's more. And like, and like Louis CK is kind of now Louis is kind of like the sort of the Beyonce of comedy right now. Like that Horace and Pete, like kind of pulling that out. And it's like, everyone's like, well, what is it? Is it a comedy? Is it a play? Is it like what, I don't know what I'm watching, yeah. but, but I can't, the, it's the compelling. Difference, the difference is still, I, I would say that Beyonce puts hers out and it'll be number one for six months. Right. Whereas, like, yeah, Louis lost money on Horace and Pete. Well, or has at the moment anyway. Like, right. you know, because enough people watched it, but it's still a cult enough thing, as is Louis to a certain extent. The one I would put on the table for that argument would be Chris Rock. Okay. I think Chris Rock was both at the same time big enough to be touring, you know, stadiums, but also doing stuff that I would consider message driven and political. Not all of it. Like, you get about half of it would be relationshipy stuff, but about a half of it would be, you know, what you consider genuine, like, you know, social satire on a, you know, on a pretty big level. But you're right. I do think that. Well, I mean, like, I was watching your material and you're performing at Nerd Mountain, and, and I, I'd say, like, the material I do is very much, uh, it does not have broad appeal. Uh-huh. Like it is, it is very cerebral. Like, uh, especially in LA, like, cause I do stand up like once a month, I go to New York for about a week and I do as many bar shows as I can and all that kind of stuff, because I think it's a different environment to be getting good. It's like going to the gym or something. It's uh-huh. like just kind of, and, um, like in New York, they'll be like, like in New York and LA, people come up after the show and be like, yeah, you're, it's very cerebral. And in New York, it's meant as a compliment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> do you do that line in your set? No. Oh, you, no. But you, like that, that would be, honestly, like <laughs> after a joke, particularly if there's a joke that like, you know, is particular on that theme, you, that joke would get a laugh in both New York and in LA. That's the great thing about that line. That's but very like, funny. Do you have a philosophy like in your stand-up? Do you have a philosophy about like, you know, like you've clearly made a decision as an artist to to address certain themes and and to address a certain audience. Yeah, but the interesting thing is, like, I mean, context is everything when it comes mm-hmm. to these things, of course. But because, I mean, you saw me do, like, essentially what was an Australian show out yeah. the back of uh, Nerd Melt the yeah. other night. And, I mean, I was just doing that for fun, you know. Like, it's an Australian tour. It was written specifically for Australia. There was a yeah. few things I couldn't do, but most of it I could do. So I just thought, you know what, I'll do it for one night Yeah, um, for fun. The interesting thing of the context of that show at home is like I've just done that, you know, for eight weeks on the road and I'd just done a month in a thousand seat theatre every night, you know, doing that show. It was by all intents and purposes a broadly commercial show, right? But done hopefully, you know, about interesting, you know, topics and things that, you know, I am passionate about or have an opinion about or whatever. So I personally don't think that there should be any like and in fact, that's kind of the aim of that show. The Mm -hmm. aim of that show is to be a show about those things that can be broadly enjoyed by everybody, even if you don't agree with the things that I am talking about. Like, whereas there is a step further from that, which is that style of comedy that like is a bit more. I guess. Well, you know what? I, I love George Carlin. And the mm-hmm. thing about George Carlin is, watch those George Carlin shows. They're full of people. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah you absolutely. You know, George Carlin wasn't just playing like, you know, you know dingy little bars or, right. you know, speakeasies or those sort of things. He was a, 
And to me, that's the most powerful spot because I talk to people. Some people ask you about comedy that are like, you do think comedy can change people's minds? And the truth of it is, I don't really believe that it can. But here's what I believe is if somebody is already like walking down like a corridor and they need a little light to find the way to where they're going, I think that's what comedy can do. Like I, I can't. Yeah, you know, just with a really good joke, I can't change your mind if you believe the complete opposite of what I believe. But if you believe inherently in your mind without having the words to articulate it, essentially what I believe, mm-hmm. and I can open a door to that world in a way that you can easily kind of cling on to, then I think that comedy can be handy in those ways. And that's why I find it is most interesting if if there's say like I mean there was an added ingredient can, of Can I ask yeah, go, Can please. I ask why you do why you're a comedian i mean well my parents are dairy farmers so like that that is really hard work so i thought telling jokes would be easier no but why, i mean why i guess really? what i mean is like i know that i the reason that i the minute i did it i knew i was gonna do it forever is because you know i wasn't used to having a voice and it was like suddenly i had an, an amplified voice and I like I was able to like express opinions, you know, and maybe it's because being a woman my whole life and then being sort of a sexualized object for a large chunk of time. Um, my I wasn't my my whole conditioning was that you should like not be loud. You should be physically small. <laughs> you should be feminine. Like and so to be in a position to like suddenly get on stage and I'm like have my voice is amplified and people are laughing and it's this feeling of like. Uh, I could express things. I had a voice. And so I always wonder like, like why someone, like why it sticks. I'm a, um, uh, white straight, um, Australian man, mm-hmm. uh, who was the first child of my parents. So I've never not had a voice. Right. <laughs> like that's your primary, like, you know, kind of, you have a voice, uh, sort of scenario. No, I think for me, cause you know, before you were talking about, you know, uh, damaged, like, you know, the, uh, the comedians having some sort of damage yeah. through them. I often joke about the fact that I was like, you know, what, well, yeah, because I have great parents. I have like, you know, I have this idyllic life, like, you know, genuinely, you know, uh, my life has been, you know, pretty fantastic if you view it from the outside. Yeah. And like, I would always bitch in mind, I'd be like, oh, what? Well, my parents couldn't have locked me in a cupboard and I couldn't have won some awards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, as a comedian, it's not very handy. Right. <laughs> but I think there's another sort of damage. And this is the one that I, you know, I mean, that you you hook into you with your Bill Hicks or your George Carlin or these sort of people. And the damage is that you look at the world and you cannot shut out the things that are wrong with it. Yeah. You can't just let – there's a bit of your brain that just can't let those things go. Like most people are able to switch off from the, you know, the things that are happening around us every day. So you can just function. So you can go about your life. It's a natural skill that you have to at some stage stop thinking about these particular issues. Right. But I can't. And I need to like you know, be able to express what I think but about what, things. What gave you that, the confidence to feel like your voice deserved to be heard? Uh, you know what? Here's what I would say. Like that I, your opinion was like qualified. Uh, I, you know? Okay. Here's the thing that I would say, and I honestly believe this to be true because I think about it all the time, which is you've got to be arrogant enough to think that you have something to say. Obviously, the very nature of the fact that I record this right. and that I put it out and I think that it is worth – uh, you know, people hearing there mm-hmm. is inher- inherent arrogance or whatever you're saying, like into that confidence or whatever in that. But that's it. But where do you think that's, that came from? I don't like- know. But that's it. Like, I mean, that's that's all it is. 
Like for me, I don't think this is the best podcast in the world. I don't think this podcast will change your mind. I don't think that my stand-up comedy is going to, you know, heal you or like raise you from you. Like it's the best thing that I can do with the talents that I have. And every day I get up and I try to do better with the talents that I have and, you know, live my life with the things that I have an aptitude for or a passion for, but I don't have any particular arrogance to think that there is some higher purpose or that one day I'll be the best at this or that <laughs> I have a particular message to share or whatever. I'm just trying to do the best with the, you know. The... So is that your philosophy? No, I'm saving that for the final episode. No. <laughs> I'm saying like, like, like that, that is that, those are, is that like your principle of work is like, I mean, know for me, it's a, it's a big thing is just like, is, um, like I don't worry about being good at stand up. Like my thing is like I I I go up 3 to 5 times a week and my like my philosophy becomes I'm not going to worry about whether or not I'm good because I just have to have faith that like if I'm doing something that frequently at some point I'll come out on the other side and I will be at least passably decent but probably good. You know, like like yeah, I agree. If, if I can kind of like have this this thing of like a forward motion like as long as I'm trying and I'm working every day at it I'm not going to worry too much about whether or not it's good because it's sort of like the law of averages says it's probably going to be okay I um I like professional sports and mm -hmm. um I'll answer that in two ways okay. uh, so the, the first way is uh, very simply that I think that um my approach is very different perhaps to what it used to be, but my approach, you know, probably for about the last nine or so years is very simple, which is uh, don't say something you think will be funny, say what you want to say and then make it funny. Yeah. Like that's a very simple way to explain what it is, you know, that I'm doing in that process, which is like I'm not starting with the idea of like, oh, here's some funny stories or here's a funny thing. He, I, I start with here's what I want to say and now because I'm going to say it. Right. 200 times you know or whatever right. this year so i want it to be something that i'm genuinely interested in having a conversation with myself about so that's where i start with the idea and then i just try to make it funny afterwards i guess is in the process but um sorry uh, uh professional sports people so how do you do that how do i say how do i make this year's show more interesting and more funny than last year's show if you think about it as a whole thing you can't you have to think about process. Like, and that's what professional sports people do. They don't think about winning eight games that season. Right. They think about if I run to here as fast as I can and I train this much and I work on like, you know, my things this much and whatever, eventually when I get good at all those things and I put all those things together, it makes me the best that I can be. Then what you have to do as a performer, I think, is leave that shit at the door. So the minute you walk on stage, right? Mm -hmm. You are the best at being on stage where well, you should be. You can be possibly in that moment the best that you've ever been because you literally have every single experience that you've ever had now to draw on, right? right. You've done it great. You've done it terrible. Right. And all those things are in yeah, your yeah, pocket. Yeah. Neither of them broke you or beat you or right. changed you forever. You are armed with being better at this right now, but you're armed with something even more powerful than that, which is at the end of this, I will be better than it. Even if this goes badly, right. I will know more about the thing that I'm doing after this right. than I did before it. And I think that's the interesting spot. When you get to that point where you as a performer can just go, this is in some ways just uh, – I've decided I want to in my life learn as much as I can about the art of stand-up comedy. Right. And I have acknowledged to myself that that is going to be a lifelong process yeah. and I am never going to master it. Yeah. So I now just take every step along this way as, you know, like a day at work learning something more about it. Right. 
when did you why comedy now now you're interviewing me on I my know. podcast which is fine can we just pause for a second yeah. now? i'm gonna have a bathroom break and then okay. we can we can definitely get okay. back to it and we're back. That didn't take any time for the listeners, but it took a little <laughs> bit of time for us. We had a whole other conversation <laughs> that would have been quite good on the podcast. But, but anyway, you were going to ask, ask me a you, question. Yeah, what I wanted to ask you was when, why stand up? Why not music? Why not art? Like, like, what was the thing where you went, where you identified with like that? Like, I want to do that thing. That's who I am. Well, okay. Let's talk about what you brought to the table, which is this concept of power. Mm-hmm. And the idea of people essentially wanting power. A quote that comes up a lot, which I heard on Mark Maron's podcast, but apparently he was quoting someone else. So you, I should look up who it actually uh-huh. is from, but I haven't, uh, which is that comedians become comedians so they can control how people laugh at them. Right, <laughs> you know, we all know that people are going to laugh. He at didn't us. come up with that himself. No, I don't believe so. I've, I've, I've been informed it was a quote, but I've forgotten who it was a quote from. But anyway, that's when I heard should it. Text I heard him it and ask. from up. Uh, yeah, yeah, he'd he'd love that out of the blue. He'd be like, "Hey, uh, I'll do it. Hey, Mark, I'll, I'll do it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he. Um, I do like that as a quote, but the other thing when it, when it comes to power is the only thing that is more powerful than the most powerful person is the person who laughs at the more, most powerful person. You know? <laughs> I love that history of, you know, the Joker being the only person who could mock the king, you yeah. know? And I always think that meant that the Joker at the end of the day is the most powerful person. Right. It's why people react so strongly to jokes, you know? Well, it's it's why quote? political figures and all these like top people, they hate being made fun of. And it's like, why do you care? Like I tell jokes for a living, but it's intimidating to people. And if you can see through people's bullshit, like if you're in a situation where uh, I remember being in a, it was a work situation once mm-hmm. where three men were trying to be like very alpha. Inti- so I, I sat on a couch, like in this office, like where you sank into the, like one of those ones was de- yeah. designed as a power move. Yes, like, yes, you know, yes. Uh, they've we're ordered s- it from a manual <laughs> and then they all leaned on various things around the room. So essentially I'm just in this sinky down couch and they're doing these crotch out like power right, moves right. in this meeting. And I love nothing more than that. Because to me, I just see through how ridiculous that is and I just enjoy this scenario where I'm playing a completely different game to they're playing. That's what comedians are. Comedians are the people who look at things and say, well, you know, who call the gap between, the most interesting gap of all, the gap that none of us are talking about, which is the gap between what we're presented as reality and what is actually reality. There is something in between those two things that is like absolutely magic and that's where comedy is and that's and that's what I loved about it. I always loved it. I mean, we were talking before, we were talking in the break about the idea of you know, having a podcast and you were saying you wanted to hang out with comedians and it was a good way to hang out with comedians. Yeah. I, I wanted to hang out with comedians. Right. <laughs> like I looked at everything and I was like, out of all of these people, who would I like to hang out with the most? Right. Comedians. And I was right. I've met all those other people since. I've met actors. I've met musicians. And they're all, you know, various groups of them are wonderful and whatever by themselves. But, but I tell you, if I was a musician, I'd still want to hang out with comedians. Well, yeah, because they're smart. And, and it's, uh, I think, too, in our in our modern world, like I said, like what I was saying is because I, I didn't want to go to bars. I didn't want to go to parties. I didn't, um, text and Twitter, like text and Twitter on this. It's like, there's very few op- places where you can sit down and talk about ideas right. and really, and have like a real conversation also. It's like, you ha- kind of have to create a context now 
for that, which is, I think what is really amazing about podcasts. And I think like the, that the fact that podcasts are becoming more popular make, gives me like hope for humanity because it tells me that I'm not alone in craving meaningful content. Like I hate the amusing word content, but that there's, there's an actual demand for it that people do want to listen to ideas and talk about con- like things conceptually and, and to um, navigate the world that we're in and like have a dialogue with each other like that there there is like a like there is a there's a growing demand for that kind of media like that to me like the fact that comedy is having a boom is like makes me very hopeful you know because i feel like if you enjoy comedy you're probably a decent person in terms of like you're reasonably smart and you're you have your eyes open because you know as hard as it's like like a joke a joke is a two-part process because it's like you writing it and it's someone else getting it you know which I think is also like what I love about comedy is that that's like, that's like playing jazz in a way because it's like the unknown variable is like whether or not the audience is going to get it, you know? And I'm sure you've like, like I, in the short time I've been doing it, that experience of like from room to room, having a sense that like you have to being a diagnostician, you know, and like figuring out like how you have to tweak this to kind of go with like the collective energy or intelligence of an audience to make sure that things are hitting the way they should or the way that you'd like them to. I mean, it's such a complex procedure, that relationship between, because I, I, I talk about comedy a lot as being surfing, you know, it doesn't matter how good a surfer you are, you know, you need to be in tune with the waves, like, right. you know, and it is a conversation between you and an audience. And if you listen in the right way, the audience will tell you everything that you need to know. But but there is so many variables. Like, I mean, there is a the part of me that, you know, also you have to kind of do that thing going, well, this is a joke. Like, this has worked before. And even maybe tonight I did do it right. And maybe tonight I did everything I meant to do to connect with this with the, the audience. And maybe despite all that, it still didn't connect, which is, that's the bit of it that I find the most fascinating. So how long have you been doing comedy for now, stand-up comedy? Um, I started, I did my first stand-up show at the end of December. Okay, so you are less than six months into it, really. Yeah, I've gone up, I've gone up, I keep a little, I've gone up 68 times so far. Wow, that's a lot though, that's good, that's a lot of times in like that short period of time. Yeah, and next week I'm doing 10 shows in New York, so Okay, so... Tell me, like, what were your immediate expectations of what it was going to be like? What has, like, surprised you? What has, you know, what what didn't you see coming in this? Like, you know, do you have any, like, I mean, particularly six months in, and by the way, I'm not mocking you in saying this. I'm uh, embracing this and I love, love this. I bet you have some firm views as well. Do you have some firm views about comedy? Um. Well, because you mean, normally start with some, you normally start with some good firm views. Well, I mean, but like, like, let me preface by saying, like, I'm friends with a lot of comedians, so yeah. uh, they have checked me pretty hard. Right. Okay. Like, I, so I've I've been very mindful. Like, I think I had, I, <laughs> I I had Snapchatted something where it was like I was at an open mic, and very frequently my experience is that I'll be the only female uh, there. That right. happens very frequently. Yep. Um, but I had Snapchat and I was like, I was like, stand up or sausage party. And and uh Marin texted me and he's like, You think that <laughs> like and I got this barrage of like like fucking amateurs, like they, like uh kind of chastising me for like, what are you trying to say? Are you are you saying that and I'm like, No, no, I'm no, of course not. I'm not saying that uh anything about men or women in stand up. I am staying firmly out of this debate. 
because I don't know enough to say anything about it. But it's like I have like a lot of friends like that where they're like, so you said this, huh? So I, <laughs> I've i come into it like... By the way, which like, is... That's the only problem is they all also did that, but they did it with people that, that... They weren't surrounded by people who, you know, were advanced on from that. Like one of the best things about starting comedy is having firm views because yeah. that's how you're establishing what it is that you... In the same way as like when you're a teenager and if you like music, you will also hate some music. Yeah. Like people who say I like all music don't like any music. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like people well, who really I mean, love I music like, hate I, music For too. me, like I have – I do have certain views which are um, like I try – when I – you know, when I first started writing, I think the biggest change that I've had – I mean I've gone up a lot. So – and like I did have a lot of experience as a writer before doing stand-up, which – and yeah. for me – like someone like Mark doesn't write, you know, and then, but my, probably like my biggest comedy idol is Stuart Lee, who's totally a writer, right? you know, and, and I think that Stuart Lee is like going to get more consistent results. Have you read his book? No. Oh, wow. Hang on. Just, I'm going to say, <laughs> hang on. Wait, I'll say if I've got it here. Okay. And we're back. Okay. This is the first time that one of my guests has got a gift to me podcast. <laughs> but there you go. Um, yeah. So I think... Um, I wrote my first set. It like I I did the first surprise was I did better than I thought I would. Like I I was pretty decent at it. Um, I was fair fairly comfortable on stage pretty quickly. Why do you think that was? Um, I think because of uh, porn. You know, I think when I I went to performing arts high school and I came in on a ballet scholarship and I immediately switched over to playwriting because it turned out I had developed stage fright along with puberty. Like oh, okay. puberty brought with it stage fright like crippling stage fright right okay and so i just kind of you know i'd had an interest in doing stand-up for a very long time but had just told myself i was just in this narrative which was like like it's just something you can't do because you're you're never you can't the level of stage fright you have is like it's like hands shaking like you can't hide it kind of stuff like that that level of intensity um and i was like so well you're just never gonna get to do that thing because you you know you can't um and then the thing I love about having done porn is like, you know, you can Google it. I, I, there's like every image of me possible in the most unflattering positions <laughs> and doing all kinds of like, you can see all of that. Anyone can, I, you can see me like looking like absolute shit, looking foolish, looking stupid, like, all, like along with all the good things of like looking beautiful, glamorous and sexy. Like you can see right. both things. Well, because you get to see somebody out there like getting I mean, fucked. Right. <laughs> like, Which, you know, like, you know, the, there's just, no, no way to avoid f- belly rolls while you're in pile driver. Right. It's just not going to happen. It's, you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, there's no way to like, I can take a dick with grace. I can do right. it. You know, I can fuck with dignity, uh-huh. but I'm going to have a pink face and I'm going to have spit sure. all over my body. And I'm probably going to have some cum in my hair. Like right. that's going to happen. I mean, yeah, and someone's sure. going to be there to, to like click the right. photo to get every moment yep. of that. You know, so that someone else can like jack off to it and, you know, not rape somebody or touch a little kid, you know, like whatever the purpose of it is serving. I mean, after that, it's not up to you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, I like I that's what I imagine happening. And then I feel like, you know, I'm doing a noble thing. But uh, (laughs) like, you know, like I'm, I'm helping someone, you know, keep from going crazy. 
uh, you should start uh, putting subliminal messages in. That's what you got to do. It's like well, I do. Like I have a, I have a, I have a site where I sell like my. I the only porn that I sell is I do. I make sex tapes. I call my friends over and we fuck and I film it and then I sell it. And I my subtle things is like I a guy over and we were fucking and then I use the Hitachi to make myself come. And then I didn't film any kind of a pop shot. Cause I was like, no, that was the pop shot. Right. The pop shot was me coming. And so like, I try in that way to be like sort of subvert sure. the narrative. Like, well, I came. So the scene's over. Right. Like, you know, which is like, so I try in these oh subtle God. ways. She's, to like, kind of she's like M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> like, this is a twist like, I didn't yeah, say coming. Like, exactly. Hang on, did they cut this in half? It's like but the like, Hunger Games third movie, isn't but it? That's it's, like, like, <laughs> it's like, I'm a feminist pornographer, man. Right. Like, uh, but so I think the thing with stage fright, what happened was after kind of all the things I was talking about earlier about, you know, you get rid of these things about, am I pretty enough? Am I sexually desirable? Like all of that stuff is like, I've got validation, like, more validation than anyone could ever like need in their life to like feel like I'm perfectly lovely woman, you know, <laughs> like, like I, I'm very secure in that, that right. I am likable, lovable, maybe like all of that nailed. So it's, I think that just like when I walked on stage the first time, I just wasn't that worried, right. you know? And I was like, was stage right? All of that was like worried about being likable. And my thing was just like, like, I mean, I've been very, I haven't been shamed for my job really at all, which is surprising given that I'm a woman on the internet, but, um, I haven't even had like trolls saying like, you're a slut. You're like, I actually get like none of that. Like I've had that happen maybe four times in five years. I've had someone tweet at me something like you're a whore. Um, so it's not like, Oh, because of the barrage of negative things, I'm very strong, but it's, it's actually because, uh, I go on the internet and every day I'm so loved that it like it, has given me this kind of confidence where it's like I got on stage. I just wasn't that concerned whether or not people were going to like me, you know? And also I think with, um, you know, as you mature and you get older, you realize that nothing is forever, you know? And so even if I went up, even if I go up and I don't do a good show, that's, it's fine. I'll go up tomorrow and I'll do fine. You know, it's like, so I think like that kind of got rid of the stage, right? Cause I was like, eh, it's like, it's everything's important and nothing's important, you right. know? So it was like, it was a little daunting. I liked the comedy store and it was like, that's where I did my first stand up set. And, um, like the, I was a little daunted. I was like, but at the same time, like, but you know what? There's comedy at the comedy store, uh, from eight to 2 AM, 365 right. days a year in three different rooms. And right. if I go in this room and for five minutes, I don't do well, it's going to be fine. Right. And if you happen to be, <laughs> and if you happen to be the worst act of anyone who's ever been through that room in all that time, that in itself will be Would something. Be its own achievement. And the thing is, I did fine. It was I did so well that the booker had me back the next week, and then had me back uh, like two weeks after that. So it's so the surprise was that I was I was comfortable on stage and that I was decent at it. The thing that I learned pretty quickly was um, to only to only say what you mean, only tell jokes you mean. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest growth spurt as a comic in the last since I started was um, I was writing jokes that I knew people would laugh at. Uh But if I sat down and thought about what I was saying, I didn't believe it. Like I'd had a joke where I was talking about dating an actor and I, my, my whole joke was like, uh, you know, trying to date an actor is like if a golden retriever learned how to use Tinder, you know? And, um, and I went into this thing about, you know, 
I'd never met someone that was, you know, more desperate for like scraps of validation. Like it was a long winded joke, but uh-huh. there was like a lot of metaphors in there. But, and, and then the punchline was like, you know, and I, and I've done porn. So, you know, I know a girl that put a baseball bat in her asshole just to have more broad appeal. <laughs> and that's very funny. It's, that's funny. It is funny. <laughs> I mean, maybe I should put it back in. I, don't I mean, know. the idea of the broad appeal got to <laughs> yeah, me, to be honest. Yes. That was well, the, yeah. well, and that's the punchline of the joke. Yeah. Like to have more broad appeal. I mean, the broad appeal. That's yeah, a fun because that's what everyone really wants to right. see. Um, I but, mean, baseball but, is America's most popular pastime. Right. So I mean, but like, I how can you be like, more broad appeal? Yeah, maybe an NFL football, <laughs> but like either way. But the joke, whatever. I was like, okay, or Seinfeld. I was like, an NFL football or a Seinfeld <laughs> up your ass. Like, like if you'd fit Seinfeld, <laughs> right, Seinfeld in your asshole yeah. um if it's okay i'm saying things like asshole and fuck like it's a podcast it's like, okay what do you think i don't know like your audience might be like a little i don't know if they're gonna be scandalized uh, by that or not. i don't know they... i don't know who you are um no, i don't know point. who your fans are um well they get it's free it's a free podcast on the internet <laughs> okay. they get what they get so so that joke <laughs> I, th- I think that joke is funny yeah for sure but when i sit down and i read it and i go who am i making fun of here you know, am I making fun of the actor that I was trying to date? Yeah, but I'm I'm also playing on this trope that says that all girls that do porn are doing it because they want to be validated. Right. And I don't want to perpetuate that narrative because right. I don't think that's true. I I've met a I've met some girls that are doing it for validation. I've also met a lot of people that are doing it so they can feed their kid. I've also met a lot of people that are doing it because uh, they were like me and they were really super repressed, you know, their whole upbringing. And they're like, they're basically reliving teenage years that they didn't get to go out and be kind of wild and crazy. And they're just, you know, I've met a lot that are swingers. They're in open marriages. And this is, they found out this is a way to quickly get good looking partners that were tested and safe, you know? And right. so it's like, and a, some cash. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a, and it's a thrill, you know, and they're going home and telling their husband or their wife about it. And that person's getting off on it. So there's a whole range of reasons that people do this job and it's a very small fraction of it, uh, are like damaged young girls looking to get validation. I, in my experience, that's, that's a very small percentage of the people doing it. And so I took the joke out cause I was like, I don't, I don't mean it. Right, And what I'm doing is I'm perpetuating this super negative stereotype about a group of people that I'm trying to like represent in a positive way. If I'm trying to represent them at all, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I I at least don't want to be one more person like punching down on a group of people that don't deserve it. But also just perpetuating that idea that anything is like, I mean, it's, it's, it's my problem when a comedian like to bring it to comedy in that regard, Mm -hmm. like when a comedian says, Hey guys, we love it when, no, don't bring me in on whatever your bullshit thing you're about to say right. about women is. Yeah. I'm fine with you. Some of the, like my favorite comedians could get up there and say horrible things about their particular marriage or life or whatever, but don't be like, Hey guys, don't we all blah, blah, blah. Hey guys, don't, because right. no, we don't. Right. I don't see the way the world, the way you see it. And I'm happy to see you tell me how you see it. Tell me who you are and tell me how you see the world and we'll find a way to laugh at that. But yeah. I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, I, you don't need to be me. You don't need to be, like be, and you, you don't need to rely on a trope or a, like a cliche yeah. of something that we don't actually all believe. Yeah, and I think, and the other thing I've learned is, um, or firm views I have is, um, no more sad clowns. Like it's it's become a trope now. Right. The sad clown has become like a trope. Like this, like I'm so damaged, and I had had some 
jokes like that where I was I was kind of, you know, sort of feigning a kind of personality disorder, right. you know, and um and I took all that out and I get I get way more laughs and, and whatever. I mean there's there's places where it is funny to sort of own something. Like I oh, talk about I mean, having if it's an, your truth. Yeah. Like I talk about having an affair with a married guy and I'm, I'm kind of talking about all this stuff and, and I have some throwaway lines about like, you know, like this is how I justify to myself, uh, you know, con- completely contributing to the demolition of someone's hopes and dreams, you know, just pouring acid all over it, you know, with my sex of my tits, but like, you know, so I have that in there, but it's like, I don't create this persona of like, I'm just like this sociopathic female right. that like, you know, like I started, I took out stuff like that because I was like, I knew people would laugh at it, but it wasn't true. Right. And it was like perpetuating this thing. I'm like, I don't like this sad clown bullshit. I mean, if that's genuinely your truth. Like, go for it. But especially on Twitter, you see it a lot too. You see like comics sort of writing these jokes where it's like the punchline is always like, how sad am I? I'm going to go eat a box of donuts and masturbate to, you know, Tom Cruise and legend again, you know, right. it's, like, it's like, and I'm like, really, is that really what, you, you know, like, so I have, right. I have well, developed partic- firm views as a comic partic- of like, let's yeah. cut the shit. Particularly when you represent that to be what comedy is like, which yeah. is what a lot of that is, is like, cause I'm a comedian and right. I'm like, well, actually, you know what? Like, like I'm, I a com- love comedy. I'm a comedian and it pays all my bills and I'm not yeah, like, like Yeah. It's like, I don't like, that's the other <laughs> thing I don't, as like, I'm, I keep, as I've started doing comedy, I'm like, I don't get this, like, like why I don't get where this this stereotype is coming from because like, I don't know, like most people I know seem fairly like well-adjusted and happy people. And it's like, we're just artists doing a job. Right. That's, you know, like it's the same thing though with porn when this idea of like, like super damaged people, like are there damaged people in porn? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple where I'm like, they're like, that's a fucking train wreck waiting to happen. Right. But like, and I, but I feel the same with comedy where it's like of all the comedians I've met, it's like, there's maybe like one or two where I'm like, that guy's a fucking piece of shit. That guy's human garbage. But that's like out of, you know, a hundred people I've met in the past year and a half. Yeah, but It's like two people, you know. Walk into any office with a hundred people and tell me there's not a couple who you might think might not grab a gun and kill everybody. Right, exactly, exactly. And so my whole thing is like, so I guess in terms of firm views on comedy, I definitely like, like one, it has to be funny. Like, is it funny is like the first question you have to ask of any joke. You know what I mean? Like. Like I think a big pet peeve of mine is is if uh if the standup becomes too sanctimonious, if it becomes too self conscious, if it becomes too too much of a sermon, you know, like it, like right. that that's a pet peeve of mine, and I I don't want to do that. Um, two is that it shouldn't punch down too hard. You know, I think that punching down is kind of okay as long as it's not too hard and it has to be funny. Um, yeah, but then I mean, the third look, thing is like it's like con- it has to be context true. Context is everything for punching down. Yeah. I think like you know. And as long as punching down is like, unless, I mean, look, your character can be a punching down character that is, you know, I would argue that someone like uh, Anthony Jeselnik a lot of the time, punch, you know, traditionally punches down, but there is a broader performance element to the rest of the work that he's doing that puts that in a context that I, yeah. you know, that kind of is like, he knows that's the character. Like, you right. know, there is a acknowledgement. Yeah. Like we're all, like, we're all in on the joke yeah, that he yeah. is, you know, um, but I guess my thing is like, is it true? Yeah. You know, like that's the other one is it's like, it's like, I want to feel like the punchline is true because it's very easy to be funny when you're not telling the truth. It's very hard to make the truth funny. Right. Like, you know, and, and like my thing is like, um, as a person in general, I have this thing with like, I like, I like to do things that are difficult. Like, and it's, what's the point if it's not difficult? Like if right. it's not if it doesn't take work, like it's not impressive to me. 
like I'm impressed by work. You know, when I see someone working and they've done something where it's like it took work, it took like a certain amount of like intellectual mastery to 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 get the words to come together that way. Like when you've completely trimmed the fat off of a joke and it's like just graceful and it's elegant and it fucking pops out. Like that to me, that is something that is is satisfying to listen to or to watch. You know, like because it takes it, it's hard. You know, and it's like it it's easy to to make jokes when you're not telling the truth, when they're not based in anything that you actually believe to be true. You know what I mean? It's like so I guess and that's totally like uh like a personal peccadillo. It's it's not No, no, I get it. Know. I mean it's a, a, the Nolan Bushnell who was the Atari founder who also uh gave Steve Jobs his first uh, uh job. Okay. Uh, he uh <laughs> He has a famous quote about games. He said, games should be easy to learn and difficult to master. The best games are easy to learn and difficult to mm-hmm. master. And, yeah. that, and that, to me, speaks to stand-up a lot, which yes. is that anyone can do it. Like, yeah. it's really easy to learn. Like, entry-level position, you need to be able to walk out and, like, talk. Well, not even walk out. You know, someone can wheel you out if you need to. Yeah. Like, you know, you can wheel yourself out, by yeah. the way. I'm not implying that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we all understand the point You're I'm not making. not being ableist. No, I'm definitely not. But, like, my <laughs> point is that you can, you know, if you can get up there and you have some thoughts and ideas, there is a forum for you to be able to do that. But it is a thing that is incredibly difficult to master. And you, to if you want to give your life to it, you have to give your life to an idea that you are going to constantly try to master something and that it is I, I would argue not able to be mastered even the masters don't master the thing they right. capture moments or like you know within it uh, yeah of mastery and then the thing moves on like right. in the same way as you listen to a Lenny Bruce album now like it's still a pivotal work but it wouldn't stand up against any night of comedy you would see, you know, pretty much around the traps now because what he created has moved on to a certain degree right, where there's right. a level of, you know, I'm, that's not to say if he wasn't around now, he wouldn't be doing comedy at Louis's level or who, right, you know, right, Doug right. Stanhope's level or whoever it is that would be the equivalent of him in this day and age. But but it would be different, you know, because right. of the – so it's – it is one of those things that it's like there are some jobs where you can work and work and work and get to the point where you're like, well, now I'm the most expert at this. You know? Right. Where this is not really one of those jobs. Right. And that's, I think that's the appeal of it definitely is, is its dynamism. It's like that it's able to like, what I like, what I like about doing stand up is it's like one, it's, it's an immediate experience. You know what I mean? It's like you, you go up, you get an immediate response to something you've written, you know, and as a writer, that's like, Right. You know, because I'm also like I've been write, writing this graphic novel and I, I just finished it. I started in November. I just finished a script for it. And now it's like going to go into editing and then it'll go off to my agent. And it's like um, it's ter- it's awful. It's toil. And it's like there's no feedback. You right. know, you just sit alone for three hours a day and f- fucking crank it out. And like, you know, the people in your life that come over, it's like you try to engage them like, and then today, so Angel did this and then da 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 da. And it's like, no. like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm in 1565. I'll like, but you know, with stand up, I can write a joke and then I can go, I can go up and tell it and, you know, get that immediate, like, it's funny or it's not funny or whatever. Um, and every time I tell that joke, I have no idea how it's going to go. And every, every time I tell that joke, it's, I'm going to tell it differently. And that, so in that, in that way, it's like, it's, it's never the same. It's always exciting. And for me, that's a lot about like the appeal of doing porn is it's like every scene 
I get nervous every time because I just don't know what's going to happen. You know, like even if it's the same scene partner I've been with like six times, I still don't know what's going to happen. And so there's a certain element of of uh, unpredictability that makes it exciting because it's kind of like, well, like what are we going to do today? Or how is this person going to be today? Like all of those things like, um, and then it's an immediate thing. You know what I mean? It's a very visceral, immediate experience, you know? And uh, that to me is is the appeal of it. You know, like I don't know. And maybe that's what makes me different from a, a civilian that doesn't perform is like, you know, I think there's two types of people. I think there's people where, if you uh, know exactly where you're going to be in 10 years, it's like this huge relief. It's like this sense of security, stability. And then there's people where if they knew exactly where they're going to be in 10 years, it would be like torture, you know? And I'm definitely like in that other category where it's like, if I knew where I was going to land, I'm like, well, then why even jump? You know, like have someone else do it. <laughs> like, right. Once, you know? Well, once you've kind of like, I mean, there is a, an element of, um, you know, I, I think that perhaps I'm easily bored. You know, that would mm-hmm. be a way of describing it, which is not an entirely accurate way of doing it because I'm rarely bored. Like, in fact, I'm not – I'm it, in some ways it's almost the opposite. I'm just so constantly fascinated by new things yes. that I get bored. Hard to focus. To, like, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> so it's not like, yeah, that people call it easily bored, Like, but it's not. It's just if I'm surrounded by the same boring thing, I get bored. Yeah. I'm not actually easily bored. I'm easily fascinated. I'm yeah. just sick of this thing right now. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, like, so the beauty of stand-up and the beauty of, I think, any kind of burlesque or stripping or porn or uh, acting or anything is it's like, it's like there's this element of, of unpredictability of the unexpected where like kind of anything could happen. And like, there's always the chance. I mean, that's what I like most about life is like, no matter how, like, especially if I get really depressed, I've been disappointed recently. I'm like, but you know what? There literally anything could happen tomorrow. Like that could completely turn everything around in a different way, you know, and frequently that is what happens, right. you know, it's like three days later, some guy breaks up with me three days later, I get a text from somebody that I'd been like desperately in love with and like, they're like, Hey, you know, and it's like, well, there you go. You know, it's like, like, I feel like that's the other beauty of like getting older is like you, you come to understand that this, this is a thing that happens, which is no matter how badly you feel there's going to be a point when you don't feel badly anymore like right. like things are just by nature going to change or you know? no matter how good you feel at some stage yeah things aren't going to be as good as that and just like not letting either of those ideas overwhelm you which is yeah. very hard for some people like yeah. to not you know to understand that like some people ruin like you know current happiness by you know remembering that at some stage it's not going to be as good as it is now yeah so, you know like i mean it's hard for people we need to finish up but there's a couple of questions i always like to ask so um uh, we should get to those uh the first one is <laughs> uh religion have you ever had religion in your life of any no. kind uh, my dad is a staunch atheist uh-huh. um so when i was little i wasn't even to say things like oh my god oh so like he'd be then, like no. not there <laughs> like like who's god what is god um from like as as early as i can remember so um i was my mom is definitely spiritual she's french she was raised raised uh catholic i believe french catholic and do so, you have any spiritual element to your life at all like what okay because this brings us to the question which is really like do you have any idea of what you think life is actually about, you know, you know, do you believe we're an accident in the corner of the universe? Do you believe that, you know, our lives has specific purposes? Like, I know that's a big question for the end of the podcast, but do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I think that I think about that a lot. And I think that 
I think that the per I don't really think about God or anything like that because it doesn't uh, directly impact my life from day to day. Uh-huh. Like whether or not a God existed wouldn't really matter. Right. Um, I'm still doing is, what I was going to do in wh- my day. Which is which is why I th- <laughs> which is why I think most people aren't Catholic or Muslim or wh- whatever they. Right. I think most people aren't because if if you really believed, oh, of course. I mean, if you go, your like, behavior yeah. would be very different. Essentially, there's a lot of there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. people who are saying I'm in Fight Club who are constantly talking about Fight Club. Yeah, so that's all exactly. I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so there were some rules. So, you're breaking a heap of them. Yeah, and it's, I think about like like I don't even think I I think very much about like what is the meaning of life. I think the things I do think about are like I'll think about men and women and how it seems like they're almost diametrically opposed to each other, and that's kind of weird, you know. Like I'll think a lot about how life is set up in a way that seems to um, be. Uh, to challenge uh i think that you know the world the earth like the actual world the earth that we're on is innately hostile to life and you can watch any nature documentary and you see that like life it's uh full of chaos and it is trying to kill you um and that uh in order for one thing to survive something else usually has to die like i think that's like that is the truth of life like on a very biological fundamental level um i think that um I think, I mean, essentially the meaning of life is to live it. But I think that if there was some sort of conscien- consciousness that that did kick us into being, um, that the way that we are designed, men and women, uh, black and white, like all of these, and like how we've evolved sociologically and all of this stuff, it seems to me that um, the point of life is to overcome the challenge of life. You know what I mean? Like life is trying to kill you. And it's like the point of life is, you know, whether that's to teach you some sort of lesson in like, but I think there's a reason why men and women seem to be diametrically opposed to each other, you know, in terms of like the way they interface with the world, the way they interface with their emotions and all these things. Um, I think at every step of the way, like all of that, that constant challenge that we're like kind of confronted with and like that anything we want seems to be on the other side of some sort of chasm. I think the meaning of life is like, is to do those things. And so I like, for me, that's why when I got into porn, I was like, I needed to jump off into something. It's like my tendency always, my instinct is always to lean into anything uncomfortable because I feel like that the meaning and the purpose of life is to lean in and be present and to change constantly be changing you know and so that a way you can tell that you have learning to do is like if you find yourself resisting something that's probably something you need to go explore so in that way i guess i have like a a meaning of life is is that like to live it to overcome as many to challenge yourself as much as possible and uh, to follow on from that that does that mean that you think when we die you just cease to exist i don't know i think I, i think that we cease to exist as a consciousness yeah you know um, but you don't, it, but I don't it's really not think a thought. About it. I guess yeah, I don't really, yeah, I, that, I guess I don't really think about it because it's kind of like, it doesn't matter. Does it? No. Well, I mean, but that's, <laughs> and it's really interesting to me because it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, the things that I read, you know, scientifically about the idea of like, you know, quantum space time and all right. these sort of things and the idea of time being dimensions and we are in the experience and in this dimension. And technically, if there were more dimensions, then we would be experiencing what, you know, what to us seems to be happening linear, lin- linearly, like, mm-hmm. you know, is actually all happening you know, at once, you know, we, you know, all of our life happens actually at once. We just experience in, in this kind of linear fashion. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like, think about, like, you have, this is a nice spacious apartment. It probably costs a pretty penny. Um, 
But most of your wealth is sitting know, on a computer. Because you know my cliches, right? Uh, comedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, but most of your wealth is like sitting numbers sitting on right. a computer. It's it's an idea, right? A value. You and, know an what I mean? and an idea and, that I can allocate on my phone now. Like, right. I mean, that I can literally just go blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. some money goes somewhere else. Yeah. Like my brother's like, oh my God, can I borrow $200? And I was like, yeah. And I went and like drop down menu at my, on, I went to a website, drop down right. menu and like just transferred money that does not exist. It, right. it, it never physically will exist. No one has sent that. No one has gone to your bank, grabbed no. $200 and sent right. a courier over to where yeah. your brother it's just is. It's like, okay, we'll take some numbers out of this, this right. number bank and we'll put them in this number bank. Yeah. And like, that like the, or the idea that uh, that we exchange like a piece of paper, right? Yeah, you know, we've imbued it with like sacred value. Yeah, because like, it's not worth. Well, you know, it's like when people talk about like oh, like miracles or this, this or that, or the power of the human mind. I'm like, we've structured an entire society around the idea that like a piece of paper has some sort of significant value. Diamonds, like we're slaughtering, like people in Africa are being sla- children are being butchered over right. diamonds because we like shiny things. Yeah. Like, and that one's the shiny and the best. Like, that's literally it. Cause I mean, we like something that sparkles. You're right though. <laughs> like, like that's like, if you, it's like proof of our power and our baseness at the same time. Right. Is that like, we will kill people over something that amuses us because it sparkles in a way. Like, like how base is that? Like this biological level, like a lure, like a fish, like we just like the way it looks. I mean, it's just a rock. Yeah. That's it. It's but just we'll kill rock. people over it. Yeah. Like, that's like how how biologically we're driven, you know, and then at the same time, how sophisticated we are that we've created a complex system around something called currency and and money that and like you can only print only certain places can print the money and only certain people can evaluate it like like both of those things exist at the same time, you know, which I think is is incredible. It's like when people talk about uh, miracles and I'm always just like the other day I cut myself with a knife and then I just watched over two weeks is like slowly like it it like skin formed over it. Then it had like it was a little bit of a scab and then that went away and then it was pink. And then over time like that, then it faded into like the rest of my skin. Like that's crazy. Like that's fucking crazy. That's your skin. Like every day we experience these like super crazy miracles. Right. And like people are like, I don't know, like uh, did the corpse not rot? Did it like, I don't know. I think people like they also kind of forget like like the tiniest things are actually like fucking miraculous you know like teeth are weird that's a weird thing it's weird that we get like, to two sets like, i always think like, that's yeah. weird when you see a kid and you're like oh yeah, yeah I, I forget yeah that human beings we get a set of teeth and then they fall out yeah and then they go but these are now this set yeah you better cape because yeah you don't get another set of teeth yeah. your eyeballs th- those are weird Right. It's like those are fucking insane. It's like yeah. organic matter that somehow like sends messages to your brain and then you make like words. <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean? It's like, like you're like, that's just crazy. Like how we in, like experience the world and we see these shapes and then they go into our brain and our brain turns those shapes into words, which represent ideas. Like that's crazy. Like, and like even like a five-year-old can do that. Like a two-year-old can do that. They can identify like a red chair like that's crazy. They they're not blind, you know. Like their brains can like do all of that sophisticated shit, you know. I, that's crazy to me. Right. My best friend has three kids. I'm constantly <laughs> just like, like I'm constantly blown away, you know. Like I've watched them go from being two to five or seven now, and it's like crazy. I'm like, you be you were like a loaf of bread, and now you're a person. Right. It's very weird to me, but it's a constant sign to me of like how miraculous 
like everyday shit that we just take for granted. Like, you know, like this hand I've had for, you know, since I was a baby and it's like, it's the same hand, but all the cells that make it up are different. So yeah. I look like a statue, but I'm actually more like a fountain. Like that's crazy. Like you've had the, you've been like, how long have you had that habit of picking at your, uh, your fingers all, like that? All my life. Like, I, I don't, it's like that same hand. Like right. you, like that's kind of crazy. But if you think about it, like every, every single cell is brand new. <laughs> like constantly, like probably like 30 times over your whole body has like, it's a completely new and different body. I don't know. It's like, to me, that's like weird shit. That, that's, that's the stuff I think about. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh, this has been fantastic. So, but you have your own podcast. It's I do. called uh, Conversations. Uh, right? Observations. Observations. Sorry. Yes, that's a uh, You can subscribe <laughs> this to it. It's was on, a conversation. Yeah, it's you called, make observations. Yeah, it's called Observations. It's on iTunes. And then I have a website, ilivesolve.com. And it is not safe for work unless you have a cool job. There's naked pictures on it. So right. if, if you work from home, so if it's you safe for work. if you cannot look at titties at work, then you should not. Yeah, this, and this. you should probably not Google me either. If <laughs> like, just do it at home. <laughs> yeah, like if you're at work, don't Google me at work. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> or on the subway, be kind to others. Yeah, you know? like oh, I don't want to. I don't want to see that no. shit on your phone when I'm sitting next to you. Well, you don't, maybe, but some <laughs> people maybe do. Just like choose the right person to sit next to. Just say. Uh, on my Twitter feed, I follow all my friends and so they'll frequently like retweet sex stills from their scenes and stuff. And it's like, I'll be like sitting on a train and like all of a sudden I scroll past like a picture of a gaping asshole and I'm like, oh, my, I'm so sorry. I must admit, uh. I must admit, <laughs> even I have been uh, guilty of that because I follow some people in the adult industry on Twitter as well as a range of other people. Yeah. But, but I forget because they're mixed in with the rest of your feed and whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm flipping in to see what the news was. And then suddenly you're like, oh, yeah, the news was, I guess that was the news. All right. right. Yeah. So. <laughs> Do you ever tweet things and forget who follows you? Because some people follow me like, like Alan DeBotton follows me uh-huh. or. Um, like just different people follow me like that sure. and it's like i'll tweet something and i'm like oh my god like because like someone will respond to it and i'm like oh just like someone will favorite it you right. know and i'm like oh my god like so and so just saw a picture of my butt you know like, i didn't even think about it like well i mean i guess that's the thing it was interesting to me because uh i uh, like well as a, a connection of how um I, I don't know how we came to meet each other but i'm gonna guess did you were you at podfest last year what did you do something at podfest or around then did mm-hmm. i do something around then no Why i think did... it was twitter i started i got interested in you because uh i'm friends with mark and i follow him on twitter okay. and then uh, i did the and then mark you, interview yeah, yeah and then okay, that makes sense and then like i i was like who's this person and then like that's i i find everyone through twitter because i i have like the comics that i like and then whenever they're talking about someone i'll go you know like they yeah. sort of vet for i mean me. same yeah well same like like somebody asked me the other day they said how did you end up following me and i'm like i don't know it would have been a a chain you know somebody somebody that i liked liked you or whatever it was and yeah that's where i am now yeah um but anyway uh i was not aware of your adult work right (laughs) which is kind of cool when people don't know (laughs) Uh, but I felt like a bit of an idiot afterwards because even the other night at uh, at, at Meltdown, because you like said that you were going to come, and uh, the lovely girl Caitlin there, who was like, yeah, she goes, "Do you have anyone for the door list?" And I said, "Oh well, I'll make." I said that I'd make sure that you could get in. Uh-huh. So I said your name, and she goes, "Oh, you're the adult star." And I was like, "See, so then I oh, felt like she I, knew. Oh, she knew straight away. <laughs> she was like, I, was I like, love hearing stories like that because, like, in my line of work, people don't." 
usually come up to you and you know like you're a comedian someone comes like oh you're will will anderson or right like people generally are going to be sheepish they're not going to come up to me like i love your work right. they're not going to do that in public because no, it's like, like what they're saying is like i watch porn and i am a pervert right that's, you know, they're, they're being like <laughs> Uh, you know, well, that's what they feel like. They yeah, would be yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. Like, right? like, like I've seen your titties, you know, right. like maybe that's rude. Yeah. So like, I very rarely like get that. You know what I mean? I remember it was like, uh, the last time that happened, I was, Brian Redband took me to a party. It was a comedian, Kate Quigley. And like, he was like introducing us or whatever. And she's like, Oh, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of your work. <laughs> you know? sort of, and I was like, Oh, that's so sweet. You know? <laughs> but well, but the interesting thing is, like, no. Ordinarily, when I have somebody on, like, I don't do a heap of research, but like, you know, I'll, I'll try to get my bearings at least on mm-hmm. if there's anything I should avoid, or like, if there's anything that you right. know they've to- the person because I don't want this podcast to be somewhere where you can come and hear the stories that people have told a million times. Like, uh-huh. I've got you know, there's other places for you to do that. But you were the first person where I was like, you know what? I just can't Google anything else. I just like, I literally was like, we're going to have a conversation in my house. And I just feel like I, I, I listened to your podcast and yeah. I thought that'll do. Which is, that's yeah, awesome. Cause that's, that's I mean, that's probably more research than like, you're not going to learn a lot about me. No, know? but I mean, the interesting thing is, as you said, like there is that straightaway awareness of going like it, that people have seen you naked. Yeah. And then once you, de- I mean, I guess for me, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just, I guess I've never had to, you know, uh, even deal with my thoughts on how I would feel about that. Right. But uh, I mean, uh, people, I don't know. Like, t- I mean, I know we kind of talked about it already, but like, is it in your mind at all? Like, for example, of like, uh, when you're coming over today, going well, he's probably seen me naked, or is it just something you know, that like, you now assume? I don't. I, I don't even think about it. It's weird. Like I don't. Um, it's like I because it's like I forget, you know. And then I have a couple very close guys. I've had this happen twice in the past six months. Like guy friends that I'm close with, um, one that I dated, and um, they both at a different point were like. Yeah, like I, I uh, finally like watched some of your stuff, and it's it's weird because I can definitely like you're a really good actress because it's it's not you at all. Like, and I was like, huh, interesting. Because I don't think of myself as an actress, but uh-huh. they're they're definitely like, oh, there's definitely a huge difference between that person and whatever. And so, th- like, that's and like, but I remember feeling like, oh, like you watched my stuff, like that's kind of weird. Like now that we're friends, like we're already friends, and then you watched it. I don't know. Like I remember, right. like it made me feel a little weird. No, no, no. I, like, I, it, like it never makes me feel weird when it's someone that I've never met before. Because I'm like, sure, oh, no, okay, course, you yeah, know. But like course. when it's someone that I like, we've been friends, and right. then they watch. Because then I'm like, I'm like, yeah. well, why would you watch it like after? Like that's no, no, I agree. You know? like, like, no, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. Like, I, I mean, I the, can, the guy I was dating was fine because yeah. he was really cool because he would watch my scenes and then he would he right. would text me and be like, I. Cause he was a comedian he was like, I was on tour and I'm like, I watched this scene or whatever. And like, it was a turn on for him. Right. But it was like, uh, it was romantic almost where it was like, anywhere oh. I am, you're available to me actually. Like yeah. if I miss you, I can actually just go online and I can find you, you right. know, like kind of, but, uh, yeah, I, do, I guess I don't really think about it. No, I but I'm mean, also like, I'm like, I mean, I mean, I hope that they've seen me naked because then that's, that sells me much quicker, you know, in right. terms of like, they're going to like me a lot better. <laughs> 
like I, you know what I mean? It's that thing of people like, oh, but like your work will proceed. I'm like, well, I hope so. I right. like, I look pretty banging and all. Yeah, this is space. yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, like, so that when I show up, you know, like like out of the shower, just like you know, I like my work's like that. That's the thing I like about porn is like, like. I, I've done it before where I like chatting someone I'm like oh yeah and then I'll pull up a picture of me uh-huh. like in a full face of makeup and stuff like I'm really I'm stunning right. this is just don't worry about this <laughs> I like it because then it's like less work for me it's like yeah. the work's already been done like, well that's a good point there's gonna be no surprises up yeah. anyone's sleeve as well yeah like most people that I know like rarely see me like I remember I like sh- uh, showed up at an open mic one night I went straight after I'd done a scene uh-huh so I saw like a full face of makeup on and all this stuff. And I remember walking in and three or four people were like, Oh, Whoa. And I was like, <laughs> like I didn't realize that I looked that different. You know what I mean? And then I, I got up on stage right. and I, it was like, it was very different. I got up stage and did my material and like, I got down and the host was like, was a, another female and she was like, she was riffing or whatever. And like, she was like making fun of me, you know? And some guy was like, uh, like I thought, I thought she was like it was funny. Like she was funny. I don't, you know, because she said to me like maybe you should keep your day job or whatever. Right. But it was a cerebral comment. She's like, that your comedy's a little, little intellectual. Maybe you might, might want to stick to your day job. <laughs> so she wasn't really insulting yeah, right. me. She was insulting the audience. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, then a the guy's like, I think she was funny, and uh, and the girl goes like, Why? Because you want to fuck her? Right. And this is a girl that had never been like that with me uh-huh, ever. And uh-huh. I was like, and I left. And I was like, Why would she like? Why would she do that? And I'm right. like. And, uh, and then my friend, I texted my friend. I was like, oh my God, this, like, I've never had this happen before. Like another woman like was like weird to me. And she was like, uh, you just came from set, right? right. I was like, yeah. And she's like, do you take your makeup off? I'm like, no. And she's like, okay, well yeah. Sovereign just did stand up for the first time. Right. <laughs> like I was like, oh, I hadn't even. So like now when I do it, I make an effort to like take everything off you know what i mean like and just kind of like wear baggy clothes and whatever (laughs) it's interesting isn't it yeah like i mean i find that i mean that's going to be the true test of where comedy goes if it becomes a truly inclusive place for you know for women Mm -hmm. in the way that it needs to and it is stretching itself finally to try and do but yeah like long overdue you know of like i mean you know it's the industry that i love and i love comedy more than anything but the baby steps it's taken on you know being an inclusive place for women over the years have yeah. you know i mean it's crazy yeah. for people who consider ourselves to be so progressive the idea that we didn't recognize that it was often you know an unpleasant place for women to be but audiences as well because you train the audiences to think a certain way and to yeah. accept certain and that thing that you're saying i mean hopefully not just i mean not necessarily for you but for whoever there'll be a time and the time will come where a woman can walk on stage looking however she wants to look and yeah. none of that is going to be an issue. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But at the moment, like in the same way as like, you know, you still don't see a lot of, like there's a lot of beautiful women in comedy, but you'd rarely see them walk on stage looking beautiful. Yeah. Because that still is a, no, you can be beautiful or you can be funny. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's true. It's very true. You know, and, and I see that and it's like, like my thing when I see like I, Jackie Cation and Laurie Kilmartin have a podcast that I love, uh, you know, because it's like, amazing comedians. And, and it's like because it's women talking about stand up and it's like, f- like for me as a as a as like a baby comic, it's like it's it's nice to have that resource to have like middle aged women that have been doing it for like 30 years talking about here's what to expect. Here's what's going to go on. Here's shit that happened to me so that you're. In a way, it's like, so you're prepared right. for like this, you know, like, and it's very honest stuff, but they were having this whole thing about like sexy comedians and whether a girl can be sexy or whatever. And I, I remember thinking, 
I don't care if she's sexy. I just think, like, why would you be sexy if you don't have to be? Right. <laughs> because... <laughs> long it takes right. to put on like a full face no. of makeup I it's mean, like right. jesus christ like and now i have to learn how to contour like contouring is a thing now which is like crazy we're like it's the exact it's like, same it's like another fucking layer of shit that you have to do it's the exact same uh, thought i have when i see a juggler backstage i'm yeah, like that's like, impressive why, like, yeah like why would you do if you don't have would, to yeah so that's my thing about like sexy <laughs> it's just like but it's also it's like the privilege of of coming from porn where it's like i've been told i'm beautiful and sexy 10,000 times right you know and so it's like i don't i don't need it anymore right. i'm yeah, just yeah. like i'm like I'm cool got it because yeah. you know what it didn't change my life my sexy bucket's all filled up but it did, also also it didn't change my life it right. didn't change the way i felt about myself it didn't like it didn't change anything and that was very powerful because when you realize that that even if everyone loves you if everyone wants to fuck you if everyone thinks that you're like young and sweet and beautiful and like it it's not going to change how you feel about yourself at all. The biggest thing that I've learned in life, like the biggest thing I've ever done to change the way I feel about myself or whatever is just finishing things, like finishing things I start. Like that brings way more satisfaction than being told I'm beautiful or whatever. And so girls are conditioned to think that like that's, like if 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 everyone in the world suddenly decides that you're the most, that you're like Shwebazad, that you're Helen of Troy, that then like it'll all be sorted and like that's not what happens what happens is you still wake up some mornings and you feel fat and ugly and gross and you you know if you still struggle to get the guy that you like to like you back you still have to pay bills you still get traffic to everything is the same you know um and once you realize that it's kind of there's a freedom in it so like like it doesn't matter you know right. what i mean like it's it's irrelevant well, I'm, I'm <laughs> I've been like no, dragging this on for like. No, I mean it's it's great. I mean it's uh, it's been uh, absolutely fascinating to have you on. I've really enjoyed uh, it. Thank Plus, you for having me on. It did get us up to the magical two hour mark. So well, actually, <laughs> two technically, hours. Technically, amazing. you've got twenty more seconds. So I'm going to let you have fifteen seconds to say whatever it is that you've left unsaid, and then we'll finish. Um, I don't think I've left anything unsaid. I think that's I think that's it. Um, brush your teeth at night. Floss. Everyone should floss. Flossing is important. Is that, is that how much more time do I have? You should floss and call your mom if she's alive.